Welcome, 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 everyone. Hope you're having an awesome, awesome day today, as always. Today, we're into Numbers chapter 33, and we're going to read all the way through to the end of the end of the book of Numbers. So we're going to finish Numbers, Lord willing. And uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. I'm going to get into some of your questions and comments as usual. I'm also live streaming on TikTok as well. Um, past few days, I actually haven't been live streaming on, on uh, TikTok. I've been doing uh, podcasts. But yes, uh, welcome to those of you who are on TikTok. See so what we have there in the chat in um, in the chat on YouTube. We have Calamento says Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Calamentos. Byron says Shalom. Shalom, Byron. One John two twenty six says Shalom. Shalom. Welcome, guys. Going nowhere says the bad news. Uh, Russia invading Ukraine. Good news is it's not. Well, ww3 yet hello everyone by the way hello welcome going nowhere welcome welcome shalom palamento says loving the music okay and welcome to those of you on tiktok i am uh, live streaming on youtube as well so i'm kind of going back and forth here if you got any questions or comments may feel free to leave some questions and comments on tiktok any questions or comments about god about the scriptures about bible anything like that 1 John 2.26 on YouTube says, all things must come to pass. It is part of the revealing. The revealing. Okay. All things hidden will be revealed, says 1 John 2.26. Virtually anything that happens, especially globally, will be part of revelation. You will find out who, who's been naughty or nice. That is what Yeshua said. Abril said, Shalom, shalom, everyone. Shalom, shalom, Abril. Good to see you. Welcome. It says, happy to be here over there on uh, YouTube, that is. And the Great Deception says, shalom, everyone. Shalom, shalom. And once again, welcome to those of you who are on TikTok as well. I am going to be reading from Numbers chapter 33 all the way through to the end of the book of Numbers answering your questions and your comments in the meantime. I do want to speak to some comments here on TikTok before I get too far. Um, posted a few videos. I don't think they're up on YouTube, at least not fully. Um, let me just read some of these comments. So someone on TikTok says in regards to, um, <laughs> I, I made a video called Jesus Fulfilled the Law, basically explaining what the word fulfill means. And uh, someone says here by the name of Justified by Grace, and that kind of says a lot because that goes to tell you how Paulian this person is, uh, says, the Apostle Paul was six to eight years after this and was, and was revealed another gospel that was hid since the wor word began. I think he, I think he means world. Um, if anybody comes with another gospel, okay, there's 
only one gospel. There's only one God. There's only one God, Father. There's only one Lord. There's only one church. There's only one baptism. If anybody comes with another gospel, it is false. It is false. And so if Paul did come with another gospel, then he is a, a teacher of false doctrine. Okay? And so I can say that because Paul does not have the authority to come with another gospel. He certainly has no authority to come with another gospel. Um, Paul is just, he claimed to be an apostle. He's not, he wasn't one of the 12. He was not a prophet. He never claimed to be a prophet. Nevertheless, a lot of Christians today treat him as he is a prophet. And this particular person over there on TikTok, actually, by the uh, handle uh, Justified by Grace, seems to think that Paul has the authority to to override the, the entire Bible, everything else that came before him. That he has the authority to do that. Well, he doesn't. He does not have any authority at all to do that. In fact, First First Corinthians chapter fifteen, he said very very clearly that he is the least of all the apostles. Um, don't confuse apostle with disciple. Okay, disciple is one thing. Apostle is another thing. There were 12 disciples, but there are potentially, I don't know, maybe perhaps even millions of apostles, only 12 disciples. The word disciple means student. Those who actually, those who actually were trained and went to the quote unquote school of Yeshua. Okay. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. Um, Paul was never trained. Jesus could have chosen Paul. To be part of the twelve, he did not, and he actually waited, uh, you know, approximately a decade after uh, he rose, he ascended, uh, and and all the other apostles he already sent, and he made them all to be um, apostles to the Gentiles because he told them all, all twelve of them, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, which you know, in, in effect, he made them into. He made all of them into uh, disciples or apostles to the Gentiles. Paul came later. He he missed the bus. He came in way after the fact. So uh, that's one thing we got to keep in mind. Uh, let me see what else we have here on TikTok comments. Very good point there. Uh, Uh, so we got here on the live chat on TikTok uh, says he he wasn't the one who was given all authority on heaven on in heaven and earth. Absolutely, amen to that. Uh, Paul was not given any. <laughs> I mean, perhaps at the at the best, at the most, he was given the authority to go preach the gospel that he have learned from the twelve disciples. But he even bragged in Galatians and. Uh, in uh, well, Galatians chapter one, Galatians chapter two, that he didn't even go to to meet with any of the original uh, apostles or the twelve disciples until long long after the fact. And even when he went, he only spent uh, he only spent a, a very limited amount of time with them. So he really wasn't trained by Yeshua himself. He wasn't trained by any of the twelve. So keep that in mind. You got to take it with a grain of salt. That's for sure. See what else we got here. 
Some okay, Rick Anthony uh, uh, forty three on TikTok says, but in context, Christ fulfilled the law because he could because he could only fulfill it perfectly. Even every Jew was to fulfill law, but never could. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot wrong with that. A lot. Okay. Again, this is obviously somebody who bought into the corrupt Christian narrative of hook, line, and sinker. He swallowed it all. It, it, that's not. That's not what it says in the scriptures at all. Nowhere does it say in scriptures that that no one can fulfill the law perfectly. In fact, it says. The the opposite. It says you can. It says it's not say you can, but it says it's easy to do so. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, the demons at the end of the Torah, like, oh, this is not too difficult for you, says God. Okay. Not only that, but to, to insinuate that God would command, I mean, the God of love, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to come. Command his beloved people, whom he loves so much, whom he bent over backwards to deliver from the hand, uh, from bondage in Egypt, to, to insinuate that God would take them out of Egypt only to put them under another bondage that's even worse than the bondage that they, that they were in on, in Egypt, and give them a law that they can't obey, and then curse them with horrible, horrible, nightmare, nightmarish curses for not obeying the law. That is, basically, that is blasphemy. You're blaspheming the law. You're blaspheming the word of God. blaspheming the Torah. You're blaspheming God. Because you're saying, indirectly, you're saying God is a tyrant. He is an unreasonable, ruthless tyrant barking out commands to people that he knows they can't obey. And he's lying to them because he says, it's easy for you to obey. Not only that, but he says, these commandments are for your good. They're for your good. It's only so that it could be, it, it, it could be well with you. He said over and over again, these commandments that I'm giving to you today are so that things will go well with you, period. He didn't say, oh, that you would, so that you would know that you're a sinner, so that you would be beat down for 1,500 years until Jesus comes, and then the law is done away with after that. On the contrary, on the contrary, he said the law is eternal. Scores of times. He said this is eternal, forever, to all generations, to the end of time. All, all generations, <laughs> throughout all your generations, as long as you live on the earth, he says it so many times. And to say that he's the only one that can fulfill it perfectly, again, is speaking directly against God's word. Not only is it blaspheming God's word, blaspheming the Torah, blaspheming God, but it also is con contrary to the very to the very scriptures this particular man claims to believe. For example, Luke chapter 1, verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth both were righteous. It says they were both righteous. Oh, but Paul said there's none righteous. Forget about Paul. It says they were both righteous. Why all? A-L-L. -L. Check your Bible. Check your Bible. It says all of the commandments and not just the commandments, but the ordinances as well. Blamelessly. What does that mean, blameless? It means you could not 
You cannot blame them for breaking one command. You cannot point your finger to them and say, oh, look, I caught you on that one. You couldn't blame them because they were faultless. They were blameless. How could they be faultless and blameless? Because the law is easy to obey. This particular man, Rick Anthony 43, obviously bought into the lie that the law is only there to show you how much of a sinner you are and that nobody can obey it except for Jesus and Jesus obeyed it for you. And therefore, uh, it's like, what kind of nonsense is that? If you ever get if you ever get pulled over for speeding, tell the cop that the man ahead of you is obeying the law for you. Oh, the man ahead of you is is driving is obeying the speed limit for you so that you don't have to do it and you believe in him. Nonsense. Total nonsense. So someone asked me uh, on the uh, live the live chat on TikTok that makes God a tyrant if we couldn't obey his uh, his uh, rules. Oh, sorry, that was I thought that was a um, a question. No, yeah, absolutely, amen to that. It says you echoed my thoughts exactly. Awesome. Someone asked me, am I Jewish? If I'm not Jew- Jewish in the flesh, I'm Jewish in the spirit, okay? If you if you are a true Christian as per Bible, okay? I mean, you believe in Yeshua, you believe in Jesus, you walk, you, you go by his teachings, you follow his example, and you're grafted in, you are part of the body of Christ. That means you are part of a Jewish body, okay? So if if you believe in Yeshua the way you're supposed to, then you are Jewish. So what else we got here on uh, some of these comments? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to laugh. I mean, these are the first this is the first times I'm the first time I'm reading these uh comments and what I'm reading right now, I'm sorry I can display it for you guys on YouTube, but I'm reading comments that have just been posted like um on my one of my most recent videos and I'm just reading it for the first time. Um so so this particular person that goes by the name of Moses Livingstone He says to me, he says, you are mixed up. Christians base their morality on Mosaic law. By the way, it's not Mosaic law. It's God's law. And learn what God likes and dislikes, but they are not under the law. Uh, if you obey the law, you're not under the law. If you if you disobey the law, then, oh, yeah, you're under. I just spoke about speeding. Okay. If you're driving and you're obeying all the rules of the road, you're not under the law. If you're driving three times the speed limit, lights behind you, perhaps a siren, I guarantee you, you're under the law. Put it this way. What does it mean to be under the weather? Are you under the weather? I was at a meeting several years ago and I asked everybody there in in attendance, I said, who here is under the weather? Nobody put their hands up. 
I said, okay, I guess none of you, or I guess you're all feeling well. Like, yeah, yeah, we're all feeling good. I'm like, okay. So you understand under the weather doesn't literally mean under the, if you're not under the weather, it just means you're not experiencing the negative effects of the weather. In other words, you're not sick. If you're not under the weather, it doesn't mean that you are not subject to the power of the weather. If you go outside, the the sun doesn't shine on you or the rain doesn't fall on you or the wind doesn't blow upon you. It just means that you're not experiencing the negative effects of the weather. So if you are law, it means you are experiencing the negative effects of the law because you you are violating the law. But if you're not under the law, it means you're not experiencing the not the, the negative effects of the law because you're not violating the law. In fact, we, we read throughout the scriptures how many people, many people experience nothing but blessing from the law. Blessing. And God promises great blessing. And he has blessed his people greatly because they obeyed the law. Obey the law. I'll get to you in just a minute there. Yahuwah's word is truth over there on YouTube. And some of you, some, there's some more other people over there that um, I see um, submitted questions and comments. Someone asked me on TikTok live is a denomination. I don't believe in denominations. God doesn't believe in denominations. Read John chapter 17. Jesus doesn't believe in denominations. He prays vehemently that there are no divisions, there are no denominations. So you might say, well, what what religion are you? And I have people ask me that quite often. What religion are you? I, I am of the religion of the God of the Bible. It's as simple as that. You want me to make it a little bit more? You want me to be a little bit more um, informative? Okay. The religion that I'm talking about is the religion, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, the God of Isaiah, the God of Daniel, the God of Jesus, the God of the 12 disciples, the God of the Bible. That's it. One denomination, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, one law, one word of God, one gospel for all. So someone says, unreal that people still believe in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that still believe. Why? Because we have experienced the power of God. It's unreal that we have a lot of animals out there that they don't know God at all. They don't don't know. They're just like animals, right? They don't know who, they don't know, they don't know much. They don't know much. What you need to do is you need to, you need to experience the power of God. Nothing can replace the power of God. Nothing. I'm talking about the power of God to set you free instantly from sin, instantly and completely change your life completely. It happens. It, ha- it has happened to millions of people. You can't go too far to, to uh, you don't have to go too far to find somebody who has been changed dramatically and drastically by the power of God. And no, no mind control can do it. If you think it can, prove it. Prove it. Provide some kind of mind control, quote unquote, doctrine that does not include God and change people the way God does. You can't do it. You can't. 
It's impossible. Impossible. The greatest proof of God is, is his power to change people's lives. It's the greatest proof. It's, it's more proof than the billions of planet, solar systems and planets and galaxies that are out there. So if under the law, I'm just reading some of these comments here. If under the law means that you are supposed to obey the law. So if you're saying that you're not under the law, that means you're lawless. In the, in the, and Jesus has a lot of bad things to say about people who are lawless. He has a lot of condemnation and curses and eternal torment. He's talking about a lot of things. These are the words of Jesus. Read it. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 25. Look it up on, online. Look up the word lawless and see what Jesus has to say about it. You think he says, oh, um, someone says here on, uh, on TikTok, you accepting guests? It'd be much better if you want to be a guest to go over on YouTube because uh, I have um, soft. I am I'm actually I'm actually streaming to many different platforms right now. So if you want to be a guest, go on over to YouTube and let me know over there, and I can I can pull you on as long as you are. I, I don't want to waste my time, and I want to I don't want to waste anybody else's time. So as long as you're not, as long as you're legit, you're not just a troll then you're you're welcome to come on okay youtube look for christopher enoch christopher enoch and uh you'll find me there live right now someone says technically if you are part of the historical church you're not in a denomination yeah exactly that's exactly what i'm what i'm yeah that's another way that's another way of saying exactly what i said so david on tiktok says seems to me that if we are still under the law then jesus died for nothing and and this makes no sense that's because david um you again you believe the the modern christian narrative and you don't believe the word of God, or at least you don't know the word of God. So, yeah, it says very clearly the Torah is in effect and is to be observed forever. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 37 is a good example of that. So the question is, why did Jesus die then? Again, Jesus died, <laughs> depends on how you look at it. I mean, if you want to look at it from, a, from, a, uh, from the perspective of the humanly, the earthly perspective, he died for um basically I'm not in he died he died because the Roman authorities were were threatened by him you know his charge was this is the king of the Jews this is Jesus the king of the Jews that was his charge against him that he's another king that is you know basically trying to dethrone Caesar basically um so but from a spiritual point of view what how can you benefit from his death you can benefit from his death by 
believing in his death. And how do you believe in his death? You, you identify with his death. For example, let's say you are, you are in, um, in bondage to, you are, you are enslaved to some kind of a recreational drug. Okay. You're enslaved to this, to a certain drug. You have a hard time getting free from that slavery. The best thing to do is to identify with the death of Jesus. By faith, you look upon the cross and you say, when Jesus died, I died. I was crucified with him. I, well, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with him. Not I, Jesus died for me. That's not what he said there. That's only, that's just a very, uh, that's just a piece of the puzzle. I, I mean, that that's just a very ambiguous way of putting it. It's better to say, I am crucified with Christ. Not, oh, I'm, I'm looking at Jesus. He paid the debt for me so that I don't have to pay it. No, no. If you believe that, I guarantee you're still enslaved to sin. You're, and you'll die in your sins if you believe that. What you need to what you need to understand is that you need to identify with Yeshua. I am crucified with Him. Nevertheless, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. So if you're crucified with Christ. You are dead to sin. Romans 6, verse 2. How can you, who are dead to sin, live in it any longer? If you're dead to sin, that means you do not obey. You, excuse me. If you're dead to sin, that means you do not sin. You do not violate the Torah because sin is transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Sin is transgression of the law. So if you're dead to sin, you don't transgress the law anymore, which means you obey the law. And it's easy to obey. I have to, people would say, well, well, are you saying that you, that you, you have to get to heaven by works? That's not what I'm saying. Because that's not how the Torah works either. That's not how the, the law of God works. It's very, very clear. The Torah is applicable. The only commands that are applicable to you are the ones that, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> That, that are applicable to you, that, are, that apply to you. For example, a baby goes to heaven. Babies go to heaven. They don't violate the Torah. They don't steal. They don't take the name of the Lord in vain. They don't bear false witness. Talk about bear false witness. So many people, so many people today bear false witness, especially if, you, if you're saying the, the, the kind of things that I'm, especially when you, when you say the kind of things that I say, a lot of people bear false witness. Someone asked a question here on TikTok Live, what laws are you referring to? So in general, the laws of God, which are, um, I mean, in, a lot of people would tell you that there are 613 laws. That's debatable. Even Jewish people, even Jews who study that and counted those laws, a lot of them say it's not accurate. It's not true. God never gave you a count, okay? There's no, um, 
verses in the Bible, okay, you need to obey 613 laws. No, no verse at all. Because that's just not true. That's false. That's a false doctrine. Um, so the, the Torah teaches that you are, you are required to obey that which is, that which applies to you. In other words, do what you can do. Do what applies to you. There are a lot of there are a lot of laws in the Bible that are only for the Levites and the priests. Okay, so those laws wouldn't apply to you unless you're a Levite. If you're a Levite, if you're a priest, a Levitical priest, then that that applies to you. If you are uh, a woman, only the laws that apply to women apply to you. So a lot of a lot of laws would be for men only in the scriptures. Some laws are for women only. Some laws are for husbands. Some laws are for wives. Some laws are for children. So um, the laws that, I mean, if you really want to make it very uh, simple, you would say, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another. Right, but the but the question is, how do you define love? What does it look like? What do, what does it mean to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And what does it mean to love one another too? Because some people, uh, loved for one person might not be loved for another person. You got different love languages. You got different definitions of love. Love uh, for one in one person's view could be hate in another person's view. So we have to define what love is. So the def- so those two laws, the two greatest commandments, the first and second greatest commandment, are defined by the by the commandments that hang off of those. Okay, so like, how do you love your neighbor? Well, thou shalt not bear false witness. There's a good example. That's one way not to, I mean, to love, to love your neighbor. Uh, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not, you know, um, steal. Okay. These laws define what loving your neighbor means. Okay. So there's, there are other laws too. Like how do you love God? Well, um, you shall, you shall have no other gods before him. You shall not take his name in vain. Now I'm talking about the 10 commandments and the 10, the 10 commandments are good are um a good example of that but then see the the two greatest commandments can be broken down into 10 commandments and the 10 commandments can be broken down into many other commandments as well you know so it can be it can be broken down into hundreds of commandments all kind of summarized within t- 10 commandments in fact the um, i'm not sure how many little little bit of a factoid for you guys not sure how many of you know this but there are actually more than 10 commandments in the 10 commandments. <laughs> um, the word commandments, the word 10 commandments, the word commandments in the, in the original Hebrew means literally uh, words, sayings. Okay. So 10 commandments means like 10, 10 words or 10 sayings, basically 10, 10 points. One commandment can have more than one, one word can have more than one commandment. For example, honor your father 
and your mother. So there's two commandments there. Honor your father and honor your mother. Okay. Um, question for move says on TikTok. Uh, look, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. We got you over on YouTube and on TikTok. All right. Yeah. So. Galatians 5 verse 1. Uh, so Bible inspiration over there on TikTok Live says, Galatians 5 1. Sorry, I am not understanding correctly. Galatians, Galatians is, is a dumpster fire of doctrine. Galatians is a dumpster fire of doctrine. It's probably the worst book of the Bible in the entire Bible. Um, and I've always said this, and I still say this, that Christians need to read the Tanakh first. The Tanakh is what most Christians know of as the Old Testament. They need to read that. They need to study it. They need to get that down first. Get it down. Know it well. Study it well. Get into it. Dig into it. Um, ruminate on it. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because you look at in the book of Acts, right? The, the, uh, the church in the book of Acts, they didn't have the New Testament. Every church I've ever been to, every church I've ever attended, every pastor I've ever heard preach, they always say, you know, that they believe that they are the New Testament church, the book of Acts church, yada, yada, yada. But the book of Acts church did not preach from the letters of Paul. They didn't have the letters of Paul. They didn't have Galatians. They didn't have Romans. They didn't, they didn't preach the Roman road of salvation. They didn't have Corinthians. In fact, they didn't even have Paul for at least a decade. What did they preach from? What, were, what was their text? What did they base all of their mess, their sermons and, and their, their, their preaching, their doctrine on? What was it based on? It was based upon the. And Acts chapter 17, when, when Paul finally showed up on the scene, he, um, in Acts chapter 17, he went to Berea and it says the men of Berea, they were, they were noble men of Berea. They were, they were honorable. They were noble. I mean, God had nothing bad to say about these people at all. They were good people. What did they do? They listened to Paul. They heard him out, but they didn't believe him until they tested what he said with scripture. Now, back in those days, the only thing that was considered to be scripture was the Tanakh, the Torah, the Prophets, the prophets. That, well, that was scripture. New Testament wasn't even written at that time. Certainly wasn't considered to be scripture. So, the book, I said all that to say this. Christians have a lot of questions about the book of Galatians and, and, and the letters of Paul. And unfortunately, a lot of people get all of their doctrine from the letters of Paul without really knowing the Tanakh. And it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse. And the problem with that is a lot of things get misinterpreted, mis misunderstood. Uh, a lot of things are get it's just backwards, really backwards. Um, 
you don't like, and this is the truth. You don't need Paul to be saved. They didn't in the book of Acts. They didn't need him. Thousands of people got saved. Thousands of people in the book of Acts got saved before Paul was even born again, before Paul even came onto the scene. You don't need Paul. So if you read anything in any of the epistles of Paul, any of the letters of Paul that, that contradict the Torah, that contradict the law or the prophets, guess, guess which one wins and which one loses. Hint, hint, Paul does not win. Paul doesn't have the authority to do that. Paul really doesn't. He's not a prophet. He certainly was nothing like Moses, and he certainly doesn't has nothing on Jesus as well. So to answer your question there, um, Bible inspiration, Galatians chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1. For those of you who are on YouTube, I am going to... Um, Put this up on the screen for you guys. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, right here. And so this is what it says. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, so... Jesus said very clearly, if you sin, you are a slave of sin. In other words, if you transgress the law, you are a slave of sin. Even Paul said, uh, let me just see here. It's a second here. Even Paul said something very, very similar to that as well. Uh, you know, Paul said that you are a, you are either going to be a, a servant of righteousness or a servant of lawlessness. Okay, just a second. Uh, just give me a second here. Yeah, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. I'll pull this up for you guys on YouTube. Um, Do not offer any part of, your, of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather to offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Again, you know, Paul is very, very difficult in all of his, the way he, the way he talks like this, because obviously he's against sin and sin is transgression, transgressing the law. Okay. So obviously he is for obedience to the law. 
Verse 16, this is Romans 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of, uh, of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So again, that's that's the idea. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Paul did not promote being a slave to sin. He promoted being a slave to righteousness. Excuse me. Righteousness, because being a slave to righteousness means you obey the law. How do you know what's right? How do you know what's wrong? It's the law. How do you define what righteousness is or wickedness? It's the law. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you obey these commands, if you, if you observe these laws, it will be righteousness to you. That's righteousness. So I think it's super important to understand that when, uh, when Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, uh, let's go back there, Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So here's the thing. If he, if he meant that Christ sets you free from the law, that means that Christ makes you lawless, makes you a sinner. If he meant that Christ sets you free from sin, that means that Christ is righteous and that he does what his father wants him to do. And he makes people in, come in line with the instructions of his father. Another, another thing, too, is to keep in mind where uh, Paul said, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. A lot of Christians believe that Paul is talking about the Torah, the law. There's a lot of problems with it. There's a big problem, actually, with that kind of that way of thinking. Number one is God has shown himself in the Torah to be a God who bends over backwards to ensure that his people are free. He's a God of freedom. The whole idea of freedom came from God. He's a, he is love. He never changes yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. He said in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. He doesn't change. He doesn't have to change. He needs no upgrades. So he, he is love. He always will be love. He wants his people free. He always has wanted his people free. That's why he bent over backwards in the days of Moses to set his people free from the bondage of Egypt. With an outstretched arm, mighty hand, ten great plagues smote the whole nation of Egypt just, to, just for freedom because he hates bondage. Now, it makes absolutely no sense, and it's actually very sadistic to imply that God loves freedom so much that he, he smote all the firstborn of Egypt. He, he, he sent ten plagues upon Egypt. He bent over backwards. He, with great power and great glory, splitting the Red Sea, all kinds of power and glory shown there, just to set his people free. Why? Boom, just to slap another bondage on them, just to, just to put them back into the yoke of slavery. Actually, even a worse yoke of slavery, according to some Christians, that, that the Torah is like even worse than, any, than anything else because it is slavery and it's bondage and it's bitter and all this kind of stuff. 
It's nonsense. The Torah is the law of liberty. The Torah is the law of liberty. It is God's gift of freedom. He did everything. God, again, he, he, what more could you do? He bent over backwards for people, for his beloved people to set them free. And immediately after that, he gave them the gift of freedom, the law of liberty, the Torah, not slavery. It would make no sense. That would be sadistic. That would be abusive for God to do that. We know that's not true at all because God said, this is a blessing. You know, this is for you. This is for your blessing. This is for your good. This is so that it may be well with you. It's, it's an act of love. It's an act of grace. Just like how any, as a, as a loving father, any father that's, any parent that's half decent, that loves their children, they would give their children instructions, rules. Hey, don't do that. Do this instead. Hey, that's not good for you. Putting your hand on a hot stove is not good for you. Playing on a busy road is not good for you. You know, these kind of things. Why? Because they love their children. They don't want to see bad things happen to their children. The same goes for God. His law is an act of love. It's an act of grace. He didn't want to see people bearing false witness against each other committing adultery against each other, lying to, against each other, stealing from one another, murdering one another. No, he wanted the best for them. That's why he gave his beloved children the law. Honor your father and your mother so that it may be well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, I mean that's that's really what it boils down to. If Paul is taught, if Paul says the yoke of if if what Paul meant in Galatians five is that the Torah is is the yoke of slavery, then that's disgusting and that's wrong. If that's what he meant, it's disgusting and it's wrong. If he meant that sin is the yoke of slavery, and that Christ sets you free from sin because of the power of the cross. To set you free from sin so that you can live for him, meaning because of Christ's death and resurrection and your faith in that death and resurrection, you are now dead to sin. You are alive to him. It empowers you to live the way God wants you to live. It empowers you to, 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 to walk that straight and narrow. It gives you strength and boldness to do that. It sets you free from the yoke of slavery to sin. So that is that. That's that's my uh, response to Galatians chapter five, verse one. It depends on how you look at it. I mean, it could be something. It depends on how you look at it. Someone else says, what God do you believe in? I, I get this question all the time. 
the time. What God, the God of Abraham, Jacob, the God of King David, the God of Isaiah, the God of Jeremiah, the God of da uh, Daniel, the God of Jesus, the God of the 12 disciples, the God of the Bible. So Bible inspiration says, isn't it like picking and choosing then? No, absolutely not. Like in regards to um, what laws are applicable to you? No, no. I, it's like this. If you are, okay, so let me, let me just, let me just say this. The law of God is very much like, very, very the law of the land. Very, very much like the law of the land. For example, if you are riding a bicycle through the city, you are, the laws and the bylaws of riding a bicycle is, is applicable to you. You're not picking and choosing. You cannot obey the laws of flying a 747. Okay? You can't obey the laws of flying a plane while you're on a bicycle. It just doesn't apply. You know, so you're not picking and choosing. If you are um, again, if you're walking on a sidewalk, <laughs> or let's just say, if you're walking down the street, you can't obey the law of streetcars because you're not a streetcar and you're not a street streetcar driver. You're a pedestrian. So the laws of the pedestrians apply to you. You're not really picking and choosing. You don't really have a choice, really. If you know what I'm saying, it, it, uh, and that's the way it is with the scriptures as well. You're not picking and choosing. No way. No way. Uh, God forbid. It's just that if you are a woman, yeah, the laws of, of women apply to you. If you are a, again, a priest in the temple, the laws, and by the way, most of the laws that are in the first five books of, of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the um, what's commonly called the laws of Moses, most of those laws are for the priests in the temple, the Levitical priests. So obviously that wouldn't apply to most people, okay? Unless you're unless you're from the tribe of Levi, um, then that that might apply to you. But there's no attempt, there's no temple anyway, so that doesn't apply because there's no temple, and that's the reason why today most Jews do not. Uh, they do not uh, practice animal sacrifices anymore uh, because there's no temple. That's the only reason why. So the, again, the question is, in regards to the laws, how can I believe everything when I, when I have to pick and choose? No, you don't pick and choose. Look, again, it's, it's like the laws of the land. If you are if you are renting an apartment, okay, you don't you don't obey the same laws of those of someone else who owns a home, a house, I should say. Okay? If you own a house, you own your own house and you by law you have to pay tax, yada yada yada. But if you're just a tenant, that's different. You're under different you're under different rules, under different laws. You don't pick and choose. Yeah, the easiest way, the easiest way to understand how the Torah applies to somebody is to look at it like it is 
as if it's like the law of the land. Yeah, there's they could say there's hundreds of laws, but most of them don't apply to you. I'm not sure where you where you live, Bible inspiration. I'm not sure where you live, but let's say, for example, if you live in America, I have heard that there are at least, at least, okay, probably way more, but at least four million laws. Four, four million laws in America. And most Americans would count themselves as law-abiding citizens. Okay. So does that mean they obey all four million laws or five million, however, however million, however many million there are? No. That just means that they believe that they obey is all whatever laws apply to them. Of course, four million laws wouldn't apply to them. So you know, it, it's it's actually actually the laws of man or the laws of the land per se is harder to obey than God's law, and more unreasonable. <laughs> God's law is not unreasonable. God's law is very very good and very easy. But some sometimes the laws of you know the laws that we have to endure here uh, on earth is is not necessarily all that. Uh, reasonable i'm pretty sure you heard of some crazy laws that are still in still in the law books but yeah um very important to understand that is the you know that's a really the best way to look at it how to interpret it how to how to apply it Okay, so let me see what we have over there on YouTube. By the way, those of you who are on TikTok, if you have any more questions or comments, please feel free to drop them in there. I'll check in just a moment. Um, Paulina on YouTube, welcome. Good to see you. Shalom, Christopher, she says, question, are you familiar with the ancient book of Gad the seer, not the patriarch, uh, referenced in first chronicles yes um i don't i haven't really i i i have went through it but i haven't studied it in depth okay so i am i am familiar with it but i wouldn't say that i'm like as familiar with it as i am with many other books and it's just super interesting by the way i think that everybody should read it Going nowhere on YouTube, ask the question, Christopher, when you meet, when you meet God or Jesus, what would you like them to say to you? The first thing you would like them to say to you, the first thing, uh, the first thing, um, I, well done, my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord. Bible inspiration asked a question here on TikTok Live. Uh, in uh, in that case, I was always confused on whether or not to keep the Sabbath. Some argue you can worship any day, like in Romans again, Romans fourteen five. Yeah, Paul is always Paul. Paul has always been a problem. Like you know, I'm not. I'm not. 
an advocate of throwing Paul out, right? So we can learn a lot from Paul, but we got to take him with a grain of salt. Um, the disciples, the original disciples and the leaders of the church in Acts, chap- in Acts, the whole book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 21, they didn't really put a whole lot of weight on Paul at all. I mean, they didn't really look, they didn't look to Paul for any kind of guidance at all. Um, they didn't really give him an, a word in edgewise. So again, he just, he doesn't really have the authority that most Christians think that he does. So, you know, so Paul says that one man counts, you know, one man considers a certain day to be like a holy or a special day. Another man considers another day or, and then some people, you know, it, every day is this, is alike. Um, when it comes to the Sabbath, uh, I think it's important to to note that God didn't say you can pick and choose. He didn't say that. He he said on the seventh day, that's your that's the Sabbath. Keep it holy. He he was very specific and very clear. And I was told as a child, actually, I remember hearing it as a child that, you know, well, you know, uh, to the Jews, a Saturday Sabbath, to the, to the Christians, Sunday's a Sabbath. And, you know, as long as you have one day, you know, one day a week, uh, one day to have to be your Sabbath. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God said. God could have said. I mean, he had plenty of opportunity, plenty of time. Plenty of space in, this, in the scriptures to say, hey, you know, you can choose whatever day you want to uh, to observe the Sabbath, as long as you just observe one day a week. No, he didn't say that. He was very specific. The seventh day is the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Don't do any regular work on that day. So... And Paul's idea about one day being special and the other, you know, and then some people like every day is the same. I don't think that that is really in in regards to the Sabbath day. I don't think that that in that context, he's talking about the Sabbath day. Tank Dog 2012 says, haven't seen your TikToks in a while. How... How have you been? Very good. I've actually been um, doing lives, uh, extensive lives every day so far for the past several months, every day on YouTube, sometimes on TikTok. Uh, I haven't been doing as much on TikTok as I used to, but yeah, I've been doing um, lives every day on, on YouTube uh, Facebook, Twitter, DLive, Twitch, um, I multi-stream right now. As I as I speak, I'm on all of those platforms streaming live right now. So, so I've been spending a lot of time doing that. I use I usually do anywhere from two to sometimes over seven hours every day of live streaming, reading the scriptures, answering your questions, and responding to your comments. Uh, hey, it's it's awesome. You guys are awesome. It's awesome having a fellowship like this. Thanks for your thanks for your comment there, Tank Dog. 
I have been posting on TikTok, but just not as much as I not as much as I used to. Like I have been posting, uh, you know, maybe I don't know four or five videos a week. So yeah, let me see what we got here on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube. Yahuwah's word is truth, says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Yahuwah's word is truth on YouTube, says, I have a brother who rejects Torah. His reason, because all Christians would have gone to hell if they had, if they didn't go to hell, God judged the hearts. If he, if he judged their hearts and they didn't keep then they then why would we have to be obedient um let's see he goes he goes on to say we we gone over every verse he knows the truth any thoughts okay so let me see what we got here. Um, to, to understand, I'm trying to understand your question here. So your brother says that all Christians would have gone to hell if they didn't go to hell. God judged the hearts. And if he judged their hearts and they didn't keep what, the Torah, I suppose, then why would we have to be obedient? Okay, so uh, I'm I'm not entirely clear on your question, Yahuwah's word is truth. So this is what I would say. God is judge. Yes, he is. Every judge has to go by a law. If If there's no Torah, if there's no law, then... There's nothing to judge. There's no way you can judge. So you can't judge, even even to judge your heart. You say, well, God judges the heart, so God God sees your heart. Well, he has to go by a law to judge your heart. And the long and the, the, the very the very simple message of the Tanakh is. Turn from sin and God will forgive you and you will be redeemed. That's that's really it. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the message that Jesus preached. It's the message that all the 12 disciples preached. It's the message. It's the first message he preached. It's the last message he preached to the book of Revelation or to the church in the book of Revelation, I should say. And so... I think it seems to me Yahuwah's word is truth. Um, yeah, Yahuwah's word is truth. It seems to me your brother doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily understand that concept. I would say this. I would say go to Ezekiel chapter eighteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna go there right now for you guys. Go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, starting at verse, if I can remember correctly, I think it would be verse 19. 
Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 19. Um, it says, yet you, yet you say, why would the son not suffer punishment for the father's guilt when the son has pra practiced justice and righteousness and has kept all my statutes and done them, he shall certainly live. So in this context, it's like, okay, can, does the son get punished for the father? Can the, can the father get punished for the son? Right? Because it's like, um, when you have these, these kind of int intimate or when you have these kind of, um, relationships between parent and child, a lot of times a parent would die for the child if they could and vice versa, a child can die for the parent. And so the question is, can, can the father die for the child or can the child die for the father? Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the person who sins will die. What does that mean? What that's what God is saying is you are responsible for your own actions. Nobody else is responsible and you can't be responsible for them. Verse 20, the person who sins will die. In other words, not the, not the son, not the father, not anybody else, but the person who sins will die. A son will not suffer punishment for the father's guilt, nor will the father suffer punishment for the son's guilt. The righteousness of a righteous person will be upon himself, and the wickedness of a wicked of the wicked will be upon himself. Again, what does that mean? You're responsible for your actions. If it's right, if it's right actions, if you do what's right, righteousness, you will reap that reward. You will, you will, you will get that benefit. If it's sin and wickedness, you will also suffer the consequences for that. Verse 21, but if the wicked person turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and keeps all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall certainly live. He shall not die. So this is, this is, the, this is the key right here. A lot of people don't understand this. God says very clearly, and by the way, Ezekiel chapter 18 is based upon the Torah as well. It's based upon Deuteronomy chapter 30, which brings the same kind of uh, the same kind of concept, where if a person turns from their sins, God will not punish that person for their past sins. Everything will be wiped clean. You will be you will be viewed as if you've never sinned. God will look at you as if you have never ever committed sin. An offense in your life. You're pure, clean, all that, all that stuff. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 22. All his offenses, now this is the person who turns from their sin now. Actually, let me let me just read the 21 again. Ezekiel 18, 21. If the wicked man or if the wicked person turns from all his sins, which he has committed and keeps all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall certainly live. He shall not die. All his offenses, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him. That's awesome. That's almost like the gospel, isn't it? That's almost like the gospel. Hey, all you got to do is accept Jesus and he wipes away all your sin. He won't count any of the past sins against you. That is what the gospel is, but <laughs> if you turn from your sins, 
this you know this is the reason why a lot of Jew a lot of Jews today if they hear the modern corrupt Christian narrative gospel they're like thanks but no thanks I got what I whatever I need I got what I need okay it says in my Bible it says God said in Ezekiel and in Second Chronicles seven fourteen and in First Kings chapter eight and in Deuteronomy three on and on and on I mean all the way through all the way through the scriptures all the way through the law and the prophets God says. If you just turn from your sins, you stop doing what's wrong, turn to God, pray, God will forgive you of all your sins and none of the transgressions, none of the offenses, none of the sins that you have that you have that you have committed will be held against you. God will look at you as if you have never ever sinned, pure as snow. Hey, that's Isaiah chapter one, two. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins will be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? All his offenses, again, this is verse 22. All his offenses, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him because of the of his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. And then it goes on to talk about what happens if it's the other way around. If you if you lived righteous all your life and then you then you live wicked the last few days of your life, then what happens? Well, God looks as, as, at you as if you've committed wickedness all your life. Basically, the present state that you're in is what matters, not the past. Where your present spiritual state is what matters. That's all that matters to God. If presently you you have turned from sin and you are you've turned to God, you turn to him in prayer, you ask him for mercy. The key is turning from sin. That's that's what repentance really is, not just feeling sorry, but turning from sin. So if that happens, you turn from sin, God says he looks at you as if you've never you've never sinned at all. That's beautiful. That's awesome. But if you turn from righteousness and you turn towards sin, then God looks at you as if the opposite. Right? The sins that you are presently committing, you will be you will be accountable for. Not all of your past righteousness, any past righteousness, any past good deeds that you've ever done or obedience that you've ever engaged in none of that would be will, will come you know to your help nothing will will work uh so yahuwah's word is truth it seems to me i may be wrong but it seems to me like your brother doesn't really understand that according to the word of god right from the very beginning right from the very beginning the whole concept of repentance and forgiveness is is laid out for us. We read it also throughout the Tanakh, throughout the, the prophets. First Kings chapter 8 says the same thing. All you got to do is turn to him, turn to God, turn away from your sins, and, and you, your sins will be atoned for. In fact, it says in that context, in First Kings chapter 8, you don't even need the blood sacrifice at all. You just need to repent. That's it. Because in that context, it's like, what if we, what if we're away from the temple? What if we're in a foreign land? How can we get atonement for our souls? 
How can we get atonement if we can't take, if we can't, if we don't have a temple to perform sacrifices? And God's like, hey, don't worry about it. All you got to do is turn from your sin, turn to me, and I will forgive your sin and make, and, and your, your sins will be atoned for. That's what happened with Jonah, right? Jonah went to, um, went to Nineveh, right? Nineveh wasn't a Jewish city. It didn't, the Ninevites were Assyrians. They did not have a, a temple set up. They did not perform blood sacrifices. They, they were Gentiles, okay? And so Jonah went there and said, God's going to destroy this city. What did they do? They repented. They fasted. They humbled themselves. They called unto God for mercy, and God forgave their sin and did not bring upon them the um, the destruction that he said he would. Their sins were atoned for. Just because they turned from their, from their sins, because they decided to turn to God and to turn away from their sins and to stop doing what was wrong. We see this all the way through the scriptures. Read 1 Kings chapter 8 and the, the very famous 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. A lot of Christians know this. They say, you know, uh, God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's it. That's that's it in a nutshell right there again. There's the gospel in a nutshell. God didn't say, if you get your blood sacrifice, then, I'll, then I will uh, forgive your sin. He didn't say, if you, if you take, you know, uh, if you take your uh, sacrifice to the temple, then I will forgive your sin and heal your land and your sin will be atoned for. No, he said, all you got to do is turn from your sin, pray, humble yourselves and pray. That's it. That's what he said. So Yahuwah's word is truth. I would say your brother doesn't understand that, sounds like. Sounds like he doesn't understand that the, that the, the Torah, the, the law of God is eternal. There's no beginning. There's no end. It didn't begin with Moses, okay? Genesis chapter 26, verse 5 said that Abraham obeyed the laws of God. That's long before Moses came on the scene, hundreds of years before Moses was ever born. And so that's the Torah. Abraham knew the Torah. He saw, he, he knew the Torah long before Moses came, long before God commanded Moses to write it down. Abraham knew it. The Torah, the law of God, is a reflection of God. It says the Torah is holy, just, and good. Even Paul said in, in the book of Romans, the law is holy, just, and good. It, the law is spiritual. So, I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear that the law is a reflection of, G, of, of God because God is holy, just, and good. Any law is a reflection of the lawgiver. 
Never, never forget that. A law doesn't matter if it's a heavenly law, an earthly law, a law of, you know, by law in your city, whatever it is. Any law is a reflection of a lawgiver. If there, if the lawgiver is wicked, the the laws will not won't be good. The law, if the lawgivers or giver is against the word of God, so the laws will probably be against. If the lawgiver is a believer, if the lawmaker is a is a is a believer. If the lawmakers are Christians, the laws are probably according to the Christian beliefs and doctrines. If the lawmakers believe in the Bible, the laws are probably going to be somewhat in line with the Bible. God never changes. Therefore, his law never changes. That never needs to change. So why do we have to be obedient, uh, says Yahuwah's word is truth. Well, I mean, you don't have to be. It's, you got your, your, your free will. But if you're not, you don't align yourself with, with God, then you, you can't expect much good to come, uh, to come of, your, uh, of your life. You really can't. Christine Walker, 23, says, thank you for doing these lives. They are very educational. Thank you. Thank you for your, for your comment. I appreciate that. Clarence says, all about that work. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by all about that work? By the way, too, another thing, too, a lot of people don't, uh, this is something that people misunderstand. They say, well, if you obey the law, you, you'll you be, you know, you'll be, uh, uh, you'll be proud, you know, you'll be, you'll be boasting about it. No, no, you won't be. The more you obey God's law, the more humble you'll become. Because God's law has no room for natural human pride. God's law has no room for pride at all. <laughs> you know, it's no room for the works of the flesh at all. Okay. Uh, it's against the works of the flesh. That's why even Paul said the law is spiritual. Boasting and arrogance, that's not spiritual. That's worldly. That's fleshly. But the law is spiritual. And the more you align with yourself with the law, the more spiritual you become. You're not going to brag. You're not going to boast. So someone asked, what do you think about the 70 AD doctrine going around that Jesus fulfilled all and we're, and we're supposed to be on a new earth? Huh. Uh, I don't see it. There's a lot of things that it has not come to pass. It says that Jesus will come, when he comes back, he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And he's going to rule this world using the Torah. It says that explicitly in Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4. Um, I don't see that. I don't see, I don't, I don't see Jesus coming. I don't see Jesus in Jerusalem 
you know, uh, ruling and reigning the world by Torah. I don't see that. Uh, and there's a lot of things in the book of Revelation that has never come to pass. Never. And much of the book of Revelation talks about a global wrath of God and a global system, beast system that isn't sure you can point to maybe one particular culture or one city here or there, wherever that seems to be something that is similar to what is taught, you know, for example, the mark of the beast. Okay, you might be able to point to some particular civilization that existed 2000 years ago that it, it seems to be similar to that or very similar to that but that's in the book of revelation it's it's quite clear this is something that's going to be hap it happens to everyone not just in in one particular part of of the of a city or, or of a county but a global thing that happens all over the world so I, you know, I don't see some of these things that happen because I, you know, one I had a pastor told me there was, there was a really a super, a very liberal pastor. This was about 15 years ago, told me that the mark of the beast has always been, had already been fulfilled, you know, back in this particular ancient civilization back in the Middle East, you know, and how they, he, he described all this kind of thing. But if you look at what it really says, like what it what it explicitly says in Revelation, it's <laughs> yeah, it's you know it talks about a global a global something that happens to everyone, and um, I just don't see it happening. I think it could have happened in like microcosm, like in a in a way it could have happened to certain isolated pockets throughout history. But that doesn't mean that, that the prophecy was 100% fulfilled. Tank Dog says, I agree. Just wanted another Christian's point of view. Thanks for answering. Thank you for asking. Yeah, there are a lot of things I don't see fulfilled a lot of things the third temple is not here yet read about it in the uh, book of ezekiel the third temple is not here yet over there on youtube we got mark says shalom shalom mark i'll get back guys on tiktok in just a moment psalm 119 great to see you hey everyone hey there how's it going Welcome, welcome, as always. Question for move there on YouTube says, hello, Mr. Shalom. I want to keep reading Holy Bubble. I think you meant, I think you mean Bible. But I keep getting intrusive thoughts. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, you said Bible down here. Keep getting intrusive thoughts. 
It could be a number of different things. Thank you very much. Uh, Yahuwah's word is truth. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for the sticker there. Okay, so when it comes to intrusive thoughts, um, it could be a number of things. It could be spiritual. It also could be a, like a physical thing too. Like what I mean by that is, it sometimes diet can help you concentrate better. You know, if you eat well, you um, some good nutrition that could help you focus as well. So I I would suggest. Checking your diet, make sure you got some really good nutrition going on there. Um, if you don't, if you need to change your diet, sometimes it takes a while that for your diet to actually start working, right? Like if you start eating better now, you might not really feel the effects of it until like you know four weeks from now or six weeks from now. Just just saying, but I mean that could be one thing. Another thing could be the environment you're in. Um, if you find a place that's really quiet, no distractions, get a hard copy of the Bible and um, go away from the from the devices. Get away from the devices for a little and uh, focus as much as you can um, and pray. Ask God to help you with uh, with fo- with focusing on the scriptures. And uh, if you're determined enough, you will break through for sure. You will break. You will break through. Jeff over there on YouTube says shalom, shalom. Jeff, good to see you. So on TikTok Live, it says, "Do you think someone will would come to build the temple? They have the Temple Institute, um, in in Israel." You know, it, it's a it's an organization that's dedicated to actually to do that to build the temple. Um, of course, they didn't really they haven't got they didn't get too far yet, but they I mean, it's only a matter of time. I think they will. I think they will. Bible inspiration. What are your thoughts on the Book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon in general? You know, actually, I just. I was uh, I just spoke about the book of Ecclesiastes uh, a couple of nights ago. Uh let me start with Solomon in general. So Solomon, you know, commonly believed that he wrote the Proverbs and I have no reason to believe that he didn't. So uh it, absolutely phenomenal the Proverbs. I mean, we need to memorize as much of the Proverbs as possible. Solomon, um, being a wonderful man of God, of course, we know that he had his um, he had his weakness, and he he fell because of that weakness. So that does not discount, though, what he wrote, especially in Proverbs. Now, Ecclesiastes is a, is a, a different story. Ecclesiastes is a book that is. I don't know how I don't know how to describe it. I wouldn't put Ecclesiastes on the same level as like the prophets. Certainly not on the same level as the Torah, that's for sure. And certainly not on the same level as something like Isaiah or, you know, Ezekiel or that kind of thing. Ecclesiastes some really good things in Ecclesiastes as well. 
But the thing is this, right? Ecclesiastes is part of the category of scripture that they call the Ketavim. See, there's three categories of scripture. There is the Torah, the instruction. There's the Nevi'im, which are the prophets, like, again, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Hosea, right? That's that's the category of the Nevi'im. Then there's the Ketavim, which includes Ecclesiastes. Now, the Ketavim doesn't have the authority that the prophets do. The Ketavim does not have the same authority as the Nevi'im, and the Nevi'im does not have the, the authority of the Torah. So, there are a couple things in the book of Ecclesiastes that seems to kind of go against what other parts of Scripture has to say. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a deep subject to get into, but there are, there are a few things in there. Like, it's a great book, right? I mean, it's awesome. Uh, it's awesome. However, if Ecclesiastes says anything, notice I say if, if or if you, in, if you perceive, if you is to say anything that seems to go against the prophets or against the Torah, then that particular concept is 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 not is not to be is not to be uh, accepted. Okay, this is the see the 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 scriptures are the. Like it's the it's the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketavim, the Tanakh, T N K, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketavim, in that order. The Torah is on the top, Nevi'im is out underneath, and the Ketavim is on the bottom. So there is a dynamic. There are dynamics of Scripture. The Torah has the highest authority. That's because the Torah, meaning especially the instructions that that was given to and through, and the reason why. That has the highest authorities because of who Moses was and how it was delivered to Moses. The Torah was given to Moses publicly. Exodus chapter 19. Publicly. For everyone to see. Millions of people. You know, finally they had to say, hey, Moses, can you please go and talk to, just go and talk to God yourself because we can't stand this, okay? We can't stand to hear the voice of God like, like we are. We can't stand to experience God in this, in this, <laughs> with this degree of power. We can't stand it. So the Torah was delivered to Moses in great power and great glory on Mount Sinai, right? You got the fire, have the smoke, we have the earthquake, we have great, great display of power. Millions of people were too afraid. No other prophet experienced that. Even Isaiah did not get his prophecy or his book or his word in that in that in that way, in that fashion. 
all the other prophets, they heard from God secretly, not Moses. It was public. Numbers chapter 12, when Moses, when Aaron and Miriam spoke against Moses saying, oh, hey, if God could use Moses, he could use us too. Has not God spoken through us also? Look at Moses, look at Moses, the guy, he, you know, he married this Ethiopia, he, you know, he, we don't like his wife and uh, the guy can't even talk. Like if God uses him, okay, he, he can't even talk. So, so if, if God uses him, he'd use us. I mean, God, right? Like, so they exalted themselves to the level of Moses. And God really got angry. He, he came down in a cloud. It's in Numbers chapter 12. And he rebuked the, Aaron and Miriam severely. And Miriam really got, I mean, Miriam was struck with leprosy. Boom, right on the spot. How dare you speak against Moses like that? Moses speaks to me face to face, says, says the Lord. Moses sees my form, says the Lord. Moses, see, Moses sees me. Nobody else does. He sees my form face to face. I speak to him face to face clearly, not like any of the other prophets, he said. Check it out. Numbers chapter 12. He says, not like any of the, any of the other prophets. All the other prophets, I speak to them through riddles through dreams, through uh, sayings and kind of, you know, things that are not so clear in private, but not so much with Moses. I speak with Moses face to face. And so that's why the Torah got, is, is the, like the highest authority. Under that are the prophets. Why are the prophets under Moses? Because God did not speak to them with that degree of power and, and glory and authority publicly. God spoke to them privately. Again, through in dreams and visions, in ways that nobody could confirm. Nobody can confirm. It took years for these prophets to be confirmed as legit prophets. Not Moses. <laughs> Not Moses. When he, when God spoke to Moses and Moses came down from the mountain, he didn't have to convince anybody, okay? Prophet. He didn't have to convince anybody. Everybody knew, okay? Hey, nobody dared question, okay? But the other prophets, yeah, you need to question them because there were, there, there were no witnesses whatsoever. With Moses, there were millions of witnesses. With Micah or Hosea, how many witnesses? None? That's why the prophets are under the Torah. And then under the prophets, we have the Ketavim. Ketavim is a Hebrew word that means literally writings, just simply writings. And that includes the like the Second Chronicles, Esther, um, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, these kind of these kind of books. They they are the lower, the lowest authority of all three books. So if if there's, if, notice I say if, if there's anything that Ecclesiastes or Psalms or Esther or Second Chronicles or any of those other, any of the other books of the Ketavim, if there's anything in there that seems to contradict the law or the prophets, sorry, but that concept must be, must be taken with a grain of salt, must be, say, sorry there, um, whoever the, like Solomon or or David or Jeremiah or because 
some people believe that Jeremiah, the Chronicles, first and second Chronicles. Um, it's like, sorry, but hey, um, if what you write here in the Ketuvim is not in line with the previous scriptures, higher authority scriptures, then the then that particular concept must be disregarded. So I think it's very important because you see, a lot of Christians are very overly simplistic, right? They're super overly simplistic. It's like the whole Bible, all the books of the Bible are all the word of God and, and they're all equal. Like it's all God's word for us today. Every single word that has ever been written in, in the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation, it's all God's word it's for you today. So it's very static. It's all it's like all on the same level. But that's not the truth. Not all books of the Bible were created equal. We got different authors. I think it's important to understand that. So that's what I would say in regards to Ecclesiastes or Solomon. Proverbs thirteen twenty two. Let me see here. I'm going to get to. Uh, I am going to um, reading numbers here in just a moment. But Proverbs thirteen twenty two. Someone was telling me that it's not true, and it's sometimes hard to defend each verse. Okay, so Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good person leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, or a son's son. Sons, sons, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Um, I don't see anything like it's that's like when I read that, I'm like, oh, amen to that, amen. I don't, I don't, I don't really see how anybody could, could, um, could say that's not true. I don't understand how they could say that. Bible Inspiration says, thanks for sharing the order of authority. It's really helpful. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, it, it is It is very, it's a very uh, important thing to understand. And once you, once you understand that, it is very helpful because it really helps put things into order. And let me, let me just say this, okay? Let me say this because this will help, this will help you as well. We see that, that concept at work in the temptation of Christ. Christ. The devil came to Christ, the devil Jesus, to tempt him. Every single time. What did Jesus use to, to, to fight back against the devil? What did Jesus use against the devil every time without fail? The Torah. He used the book of Deuteronomy time. All three times, all three things, all three temptations. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. He used the Torah. Why is that? Because he understood that the Torah is the top. The, most, the highest authority. He didn't use Isaiah. Okay, he didn't use something lower. But when the devil came to him to scripture back to shoot scripture back at him, what did the devil use? Certainly wasn't the Torah, and it wasn't the prophets either. 
It was the Ketavim. It was the lowest. The devil took the, the, the least authority books of the least authority um, category of books. And, you know, Jesus is like, nope, sorry. Boom, highest authority. Deuteronomy. This is what it says. It is written. So when the devil, see, the devil used the book of Psalms. You know, it is written, you, you shall, you know, uh, he shall bear you up in, you know, the, with angels and, and lest you dash your foot against a stone, right? That's from the Psalms. That's part of the Kentavim. The best way to understand that today, it's almost like today, it's almost like um, being in church and the devil comes to tempt you and you're using the word of God. Boom, boom, boom against the devil. And the devil pulls the hymn book out and pulls the hymn book out and starts quoting the hymn book at you. It's, it's like, sorry, sorry, mm -mm, that doesn't work. Boom, word of God. Because you see, the Psalms back in those days were the hymn book. The book of Psalms is actually a book of songs. That's That was the ancient hymn book of the believers. So the devil tried to use the hymn book against Jesus. So, and Jesus used the Torah, again, to come back at him. So, yeah, once we understand that, it really helps us to understand um, the order of Scripture, the dynamics of Scripture. And again, once if the devil comes at you, Boom, you higher authority scriptures, just like Jesus did, right? Take Jesus, uh, use his example. Take Jesus for an example, he, and uh, he'll always win. And we got Victoria saying, hello, Christopher. Hello, good to see you. Okay, Bible inspiration. Speaking of Proverbs 13, 22, saying that they are saying that they don't see that happening today. Not sure which part of that, whether it's the good person leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren or a, the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. Um, I, I, well, the first part, there are some people that do. Some, some grandparents do leave inheritance for the grandchildren. But even if the grandparents leave an inheritance for the parents and the parents leave that, you know, leave that to the children, um, it's the same thing, just goes through one more set of hands, that's all. Uh, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Well, I really don't know what they expect to see because if the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous, I mean, it wouldn't be public, right? I mean, it would be in bank accounts. It would be in real estate. And, uh, and th this could be a, uh, a prophecy of, of a, a, a point in time that never happened yet. I mean, it could be sometime in the future uh, when 
the righteous shall in, the, the you know the righteous shall inherit the earth. Uh, therefore, all of the gold, silver, and money, and land, and everything is 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 theirs. Any you know it's going to be theirs anyway. Uh, so um, yeah, I I don't understand how anybody can. I mean, if they say they they don't see it happening today, I would say okay, well. Because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So that's what I would say to that. So Victoria, your first question, like, why didn't the men just go through with it? So in, in Acts chapter 15, like, why didn't they just go through with it? Um, so what, when I read Acts chapter 15, I picture, because there's thousands of Gentiles, right? Thousands of Gentiles that were just pouring into the kingdom. So these Gentiles would have been in like all ages, all ages. So... It's like men of all ages, perhaps even lots of old men. Like, would you want to put them on the operating table to see them go th go through that procedure? It, I mean, they didn't have painkillers like we do today. They didn't have antibiotics like we did like we do today. And not only that, but the law itself does not explicitly require to 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 do that uh it does say male children of eight days old eight day old babies but not 80 year old men so the context there is like, like to to require an 80 year old man to have that done to him is over and above what the Torah requires. So it's like adding to the law. It's like the rabbinical additions to the law, not the law itself. And I understand it's a very difficult thing for an old, for an old, for a mature man to go through. Very, very difficult. Some people do still do today as an, you know, mature men, but it's really a hard thing to go through. Um, and so even more so back in those days as, as it is, you know, as it is compared to today because of the medical, we have a more medical uh, intervention and painkillers and medicines that than they did back in those days. So I think it was like a, it was a very high, high risk thing. I, by the way, I heard that eight day old, eight day old baby boys have a high level of vitamin K. It's like the highest level of vitamin K. In, I don't know if it's like in their life or whatever, but it's like the, the level of vitamin K in their blood spikes on the eighth day. So they say, hey, who knew? Who knew, right? Uh, why would God say do it on the eighth day? Because on the eighth day, maybe God knew. <laughs> Maybe God knew that because of the the high level of vitamin K, that's that's the day to do it.
So the question is like, why wouldn't they just do it anyway? Um, if they keep the Torah, why wouldn't they just do it? And some men do. Uh, I saw a video not long ago uh, in a in a Jewish circle that in Judaism, when there was like these again older man who did do it. Well, not that old, but I mean, uh, middle aged man. Okay, did it, and it's like. Um, again, it was a very t- tough thing and, and uh, honorable thing for him to do. I mean, you know, certainly, uh, everybody, uh, thought it was great that he did it. Um, yeah. So anybody who would want to do that as a, as a mature man today, I certainly wouldn't stay in their way. Excuse me. I wouldn't stand in their way. I would say, go ahead. I would say, I would say, you know, uh, God, God give you, God bless you. God give you strength. You know, do it. Go ahead. You know, congratulations. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Victoria says uh, now they give babies vitamin K shot after they're born. I feel it's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, for those of you who are on YouTube, uh, lots and lots of comments there in the in the live stream I'm, or in the live chat. I'm not going to be able to get to them all. I'm really sorry. If you can just address me at Christopher, I will skim through and respond to comments that are specifically at Christopher. Um. So, yeah, that's what I'll do. KMJJ says, Shalom all, Shalom, welcome. Going Nowhere says, at Christopher, uh, just wondering if you've read any of the following, Paradise Lost. The Lesser King of Solomon, The Divine Comedy. No, I haven't. I have not read any of those. Okay. Speaking of reading, uh, I will get back to you guys on TikTok and on YouTube in just a minute. I mean, I'll get back to your live chats. But what I'd like to do right now is, because I advertise it as this, is uh, to read from Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33 all the way through to Numbers chapter 36. I want to get that in um, as well as um, responding to your your comments in the live chat and your questions. So let's start with Numbers chapter 33. And uh, I'll read some and I'll get to your questions. And then I'll get back to this again. Numbers chapter 33, verse 1. There are the journeys of the son, excuse me, these are the journeys of the sons of Israel by which they came out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to their starting places. Now they journeyed from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month on the day after the Passover the sons of Israel started out boldly in the, in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had fatally struck among them. 
the Lord had also executed judgments against their gods. Remember the God, uh, one of their gods was the lamb, right? A lamb and a goat. And these are the things they sacrificed. Verse five. Then the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses and camped in Sukkot, Sukkot, booths, tabernacles. They journeyed from Sukkot and camped in Atham on the edge of the wilderness. Then they journeyed from Atham and turned to Pihath. Pihath, excuse me, it's, it's hard to hard to uh, hard to pronounce this. Pihathithah, Hiroth, Hiroth, Pihath. That's it. Which faces Baal and camped before Mid Midgal, Middal. They journeyed from Pihahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea uh, uh, to the wilderness. And they went three journey in the wilderness from Atham and camped at Mara. They journeyed from Mara and came to Elim, Elim, and, and in Elim there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees and they camped there. They journeyed from Elim and camped by the Red Sea. And they journeyed from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dovka. They journeyed from Dovka and camped at Alush. And they journeyed from Alush and camped at Rephidim. Now it was there that the people had no water to drink. And they journeyed from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. And they journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai. Encamped at Kibroth Hatava. They journeyed from Kibroth Hatava and camped at Hazaroth. They journeyed from Hazaroth and camped at Rithma. They journeyed from Rithma and camped at Rimon Perez. They journeyed from Rimon Perez and camped at Libna. They journeyed from Libna and camped at Risa. They journeyed from Risa and camped at Kehalatha. They journeyed from Kehalatha and camped at Mount Sefer. They journeyed from Mount Sefer and camped at Harada. They journeyed from Harada and camped at Makeloth. They journeyed from Makeloth and camped at Tahath. They journeyed from Tahath and camped at Terah. They journeyed from Terah and camped at Mitha. They journeyed from Mitha and camped at Hashmona. They journeyed from Hashmona and camped at Mo Moseroth. They journeyed from Moseroth and camped at Bene Yakan. Bene Yakan. That would be the sons of Yakan. They journeyed from Bene Yakan and camped at Hor Hagid God. They journeyed from Hor Hagid God and camped at Yokbatha. They journeyed from Yokbatha and camped at Abrona. They journeyed from Abrona and camped at Ezion Geber. They journeyed from Ezion Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin. That is Kadesh. They journeyed from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor at the edge of the land of Edom. 
Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the sons of Israel had come from come from the land of Egypt and on the first day of the fifth month. Aaron was 123 years old and he died on Mount Hor. Now the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev in the land of Canaan, heard about this, the coming of the sons of Israel. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmona. They journeyed from Zalmona and camped at Punon. They journeyed from Punon and camped at Oboth. They journeyed from Oboth and camped at Laabarim, at the Boab. They journeyed from Laim and camped at Debgad. They journeyed from Debodgad and camped at Almon Diblatheum. They journeyed from Almon Diblatheum and camped in the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. They journeyed from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Yeshemoth as far as Ebel Shetim in the plains of Moab. The Lord, then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the Canaan, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from you and destroy all their idolatrous sculptures, destroy all their cast metal images and eliminate all their high places. You shall take possession of the land and live in it. For I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall maintain the land as an inheritance by according to the excuse me according to your families. To the larger you shall give more inheritance; the smaller you shall give less inheritance. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You shall pass on the land as an inheritance according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from you, then it will come about that those whom you let remain of them will be like thorns in your eyes and like pricks in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you live. And just as I plan to do to them, I will do to you. Numbers chapter 34. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall, at, fall to you as an inheritance, that is, the land of Canaan according to its borders. Your southern region shall extend from the wilderness of Zin alongside of Edom, and your southern borders shall extend to the end of the salt sea eastward. Then your Order shall change direction from the south to the ascent of Akrabim and continue continue to Zin, and its termination shall be at the south of Kadesh Barnea, and it shall reach Hazaredar and continue to Asmon. Then the border shall change direction from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, and its term its termination shall be at the sea. As for the west. Western border will have the Great Sea, that is its coastline, that 
that shall be your west that excuse me this shall be your western border and this shall be your northern border you shall draw your boundary from the great sea to mount hor you shall draw a boundary from mount hor to libo hamath and the termination of the border shall be at zedad and the border shall proceed to zifron and its termination shall be at hezar anon this shall be your northern border. For the for your eastern border, you shall also draw a boundary from Hazar Anon to Shafam, and the border shall go down from Shafam to Ribla on the east side of Ain. And the border shall go down and reach the slope on the east side of the Sea of Kinaroth. And the border shall go down to the Jordan, and its termination shall be at the at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land according to its borders on all sides. So Moses commanded the sons of Israel, saying, This is the land that you are to possess by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to, to the nine and a half tribes. For the tribe of the sons of Reuben have received according to their father's households, and the tribe of the sons of Gad according to their father's households, and the half tribe of Manasseh or Manasseh have received their possession. And the two and a half tribes have received their possession across the Jordan opposite Jericho, eastward toward the sunrise. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who shall assign the land to you as an inheritance, Eliezer the priest, and Joshua son of Nun. And you shall take one leader of each tribe to assign the land as an inheritance. These are the names of the men of the tribe of Judah. Caleb, son of Yephuni, of the tribe of the sons of Simeon, Samuel, the son of Amihud, of the tribe of Benjamin, Elidad, son of Kislon, of the tribe of the sons of Dan, a leader, Buki, the son of Yogli, of the sons of Joseph, of the tribe of the sons of Manasseh, a leader, Haniel, the son of Ephod, of the tribe of the sons of Ephraim, Peter, Kemuel, the son of Shiftan, of the tribe of the sons of Zebulun, leader, Elisaphan, the son of Parnach, of the tribe of the sons of Issachar, a leader, Paltiel, the son of Azan, of the tribe of the sons of Asher, a leader, Ahihud, the son of Shalomon, uh, excuse me, Shal- uh, Shalomi. <laughs> um, okay, of the tribe of the sons of Naphtali, a leader, Padahel, the son of Amihud. These are the ones whom the Lord commanded to apportion the inheritance to the sons of Israel in the land of Canaan. Numbers 35. I'm going to read Numbers 35, Numbers 36, and then I'll get to your questions. Again, those of you on TikTok, I, uh, I'll get to your questions. Feel free to put any questions or comments in there. If you're on YouTube, just make sure you put in at Christopher. That way I can single you out. There are so many comments there. I can't get to them all. Numbers chapter 35, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they give to the, to the Levites from the inheritance of their possessions cities to live in, 
and you shall give to the Levites of their possession, excuse me, and you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to live in, and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle and for their equipment and for all other animals. The pasture lands of the cities which you are to give to the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits around. You shall all measure outside the city on the east side two thousand cubits, and on the south side two thousand cubits, on the west side two thousand cubits, and on the north side two thousand cubits, with a city with the city in the center. This shall be theirs as a past as pasture lands for the cities. The cities which you shall give to the Levites shall be six cities for refuge, which you shall provide for the one who commits manslaughter to flee to. And in addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. The total number of cities which you are to give to the Levites shall be 48 cities, together with their pasture lands. As for the cities which you shall give them uh, from the possession of the sons of Israel. You shall take more from the larger and you shall take fewer from the smaller. Each shall give some of his cities to the Levites in proportion to his, to his inheritance, which he possesses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan in the land of Canaan, then you shall select for yourselves cities to be your city refuge so that the one who commits manslaughter by killing a person unintentionally may flee there. The cities shall serve you as a refuge from the avenger, so that the one who commits manslaughter does not die when he stands before the congregation for trial. So the cities which you are to provide shall be six cities for refuge for you. You shall provide three cities across the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan. They are to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for a refuge, excuse me, shall be a refuge for the sons of Israel, for the stranger, and for the foreigner resident among them, so that anyone who kills a person un unintentionally may flee there. But if he struck him with an iron object's object, so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer must be put to death. And if he struck him with a stone hand by which he should die, and as a result he did die, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him with a wooden object in his hand by which he would die, and as a result he did die, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall, must be put to death. The blood avenger himself shall put the murderer to death. He himself shall put him to death when he meets him. Now, if he pushed him in hatred, or he threw something at him with malicious intent, as a result, he died, or, or if he struck him with his hand with hostility, and as a result, he died, the one who struck him must, must be put to death. He is a murderer. Blood avenger shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But if he pushed him suddenly, without, without hostility, or threw any object at him without malicious intent, or had any deadly stone, and without looking he dropped it on him so that he died, while he was not his enemy, nor was he seeking to harm him, 
Then the congregation shall judge between the one who fatally struck the victim and the blood avenger in accordance with these ordinances. And the congregation shall save the one who committed the manslaughter from the hand of the blood avenger. And the congregation shall return him to his city of refuge to which he fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if at any time, if Excuse me, if at any time he goes beyond the border of his city of refuge to which he flees, and the blood avenger finds him outside the border of his city of refuge, and the blood avenger kills him, he will not be guilty of bloodshed because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the, t- the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the one who committed manslaughter may return to the land of his po- property. These things shall be a statutory ordinance for you throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Moreover, you shall not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who is condemned to death, but but he must be put to death. And you shall not accept a ransom for one who has fled to his city of refuge so he may return to live in the land before the death of the priest. So you shall defile the land in which you live. For blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. So if, or excuse me, so you shall not defile the land in which you live in the midst of of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. Numbers chapter 36. Now the heads of the father's households of the family of the sons of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Yosef, came forward and spoke before Moses and before the leaders and the heads of the father's households of the sons of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land by lot to the sons of Israel as an inheritance. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. But if they marry one of the sons of the other tribes of of the sons of Israel, their inheritance drawn from the inheritance of our fathers and will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong. So it will be withdrawn from our allotted inheritance. And when the jubilee of the sons of Israel takes place, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong. So their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of the tribe of of our fathers. When Moses commanded, then Moses commanded, the sons of Israel, in accordance with the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Yosef is right in his in its statements. This is what the Lord has commanded regarding the sons of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whomever they wish, only they must marry within the family of the tribe of their father. So no inheritance of the sons of Israel will be transferred from tribe to tribe, For the sons of Israel shall each retain possession of the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who comes in possession into the, excuse me, into possession 
of an inheritance of any tribe of the sons of Israel shall marry one of the family of the tribe of her father, so that the sons of Israel may each possess the inheritance of his fathers. So no inheritance will be transferred from one tribe to another tribe, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall each retain possession of its own inheritance. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the daughters of Zelophehad did. Mala, Terza, Hogla, Milka, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, married their uncle's sons. They married those from the families of the sons of Manasseh, the sons of Yosef, and their inheritance remained with the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded the sons of Israel through Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. And that concludes the entire book of Numbers. So we went through the entire book of Numbers. Congratulations, guys. Many of you, you've been with me throughout the entire book. For those of you who don't know, I have been going through every word, every book. I started actually the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, went through the entire the entire New Testament, then went to Genesis, went through the entire uh, well, Genesis, Exodus, the entire books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, now Numbers, into Deuteronomy. Also, we read a lot of, uh, of the extra biblical b- uh, books as well, like... Um, we read some of the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, the Book of Jasher, the, the Legends of the Jews, some of the early church fathers, such as Clement, uh, Hegesippus, um, the Shepherd of Hermas. Um, oh, lots. We went through lots. The Didache. We went through lots of different things, lots of different books, lots of different um, scriptures. And so... Yes, I'm going to get to your questions here, uh, but yeah, we'll do the book of Deuteronomy tomorrow. In the meantime, just check out, see what, what you guys uh, what you guys have here for some questions. Okay, so we got lots of stuff there on YouTube. Um, again, sorry if I if I skipped over you. If if I did, and you in uh, you want me to respond or answer a question, just put at Christopher over there on YouTube, and I will get it. Vita says, Shalom, Shalom, Vita. Good good to see you. Welcome. Okay, let me see here. Just, just going through some of this stuff. Going through some of this stuff. One John two twenty six, one John two twenty six. I'll get to you in just a minute there on TikTok. One John two twenty six says a rhetorical question for the antinomians: If grace is a free gift from God, that is salvation, then why isn't everyone saved? Very good question. Very good. So, first of all, let's let's go right to the roots. Okay. So the scriptures declare in the book of Proverbs and in the book of James, and I believe also in the book of First Peter as well, over and over again, 
excuse me, over and over again, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay? So in context, in the, in the entire context of Scripture, not everyone receives grace. Not everyone is a, is a recipient of the grace of God. Only the humble. Only the humble. Again, think about this for a second. It says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the humble receive his grace. By the way, the word opposes in the original manuscripts, in the original language, actually, it, 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 it's a picture of what it means is to set up, to set up in battle array against. So when it says God opposes the proud, it literally says God sets himself up in battle array against the proud. So there's two different people, right? Two different groups of people. Those who are proud, whom God sets himself up in battle array. God fights the proud. God is against the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. So first of all, you have to be eligible to receive God's grace, which is to be humble. Second of all, is God's grace... God's great. You see, a lot of people talk about salvation as if it's like, like as if it's like literally like a, a a present. Here, here's salvation. Here's like, but that's not exactly how it works. I mean, that's an oversimplified view of it. Grace is God's gift of power to you. Remember, even even Paul. Again, let's just go there. This is Titus. I think it's if I can if I can remember correctly. Titus chapter two, verse eleven. Yeah, there it is, right there. Titus chapter two, verse eleven. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us. Um, in context, where it says all people, it doesn't it doesn't mean everybody everywhere? Okay, right. So. It doesn't mean everybody everywhere. Uh, it's just talking about all kinds of people. People from every, everywhere. That's basically what it means. It doesn't mean everybody everywhere without, you know, absolutely, with an absolute universal sense. Like here it says in the, in the footnotes here, uh, to all mankind, basically. To all mankind instructing us. So the grace of God, this is Titus chapter 2, verse 12. The grace of God instructs us, teaches us. It's not just, the grace of God is not just a, uh, what would you call it? Like some kind of a gift. No, the grace of God actually instructs us, teaches us something. What does it teach us? It says right here, the grace of God instructs us teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in a, in a godly manner in the present age. Okay, so even Paul, as much as Paul is used to, to be, as much as the writings of Paul are used to to give excuse for people to sin. He says here, grace 
teaches you to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. In other words, to make it simple, the grace of God empowers you to obey God. If if the grace of God that you know is is not powerful enough to give to 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 enable you to obey God, then what good is it? God's grace is not weak. God's grace is not vain. God's grace is powerful. God's grace empowers us to live according to his rules, his laws, his instructions, to live for him. God's grace gives us the power to repent. We spoke about this earlier, right? About the um about how repentance works. Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 19 all the way through to the end of the chapter. This is how it, it always works, right? If you repent, God forgives you. That's how you get atonement for sin. Your sin gets atoned for through repentance. So it's God's grace that gives you power to repent. And once you repent, then by God's word, God forgives you. And you get atonement for your sin and you get salvation. Remember, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 19 says, in verse 19, 20, 21, 22, says, if you lived, let's say up until this time, let's say you lived up until just today, you lived a very sinful life very sinful life. But today you choose to forsake your sin, turn from your sin, turn to God. You turn to God, you pray, you turn away from your sin according to God's word. He will forgive you and you will find atonement for your sin. He will not hold any of your past sins against you. Why? Just because you repent, just because you turn from your sin, you turn to him. That's atonement for sin. So it's the grace of God that gives you the power to repent. And that repentance is the, for lack of a better word, it's the, it's the ticket to God's forgiveness and atonement for sin. So step one, God well, step one, you humble yourself. Step two, you receive God's grace, which empowers you to step three, repent. Step four, God forgives you, which means you get atonement for your sins and you receive salvation. Some people say, you know, because, you know, I, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm very much about I'm all about, you know, obedience to God. People will say, well, no, no, no. It's, we, don't, we don't go by the law. We, go, we live by grace, not by the law. Not the law, it's grace. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, like people say, well, you know, we're not saved by obedience. We're saved by grace. Well, it's like, you know what? I didn't say we're not saved by grace. Don't get me wrong. I've never said we're not saved by grace. Everything we do is by grace. 
Every breath I breathe is by the grace of God. Every word I speak is by the grace of God. If I do anything, it's by the grace of God I do it. Right? So it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm against the grace of God or preaching against the grace. No way. It's everything's by the grace of God. Well, I woke up this morning by the grace of God. You know, get out of bed by the grace of God. You know, everything, everything. Everything we do is by the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we couldn't do anything. Very good question, 1 John 2.26. Bible inspiration said, why were the other books not included in the Bible? Very good question. I have done a lot of looking into that very same question. Um, I even bought books on it, thick books about, like, excuse me, like Bible canon. How did who decided what books go in the Bible and all this kind of thing? And the answer to that question is. Very complicated, actually, because there are so many different Bibles. There are so many different Bible canons. Like, if you go, not that not that Wikipedia is is a is a is a you know the be all end all thing of a you know information, but if Wikipedia has a chart on there of Bible canon, right? Now, for those of you who are not familiar with what I'm talking about, Bible canon is not Bible translation. I'm not talking about Bible translations. I'm not, I'm not talking about Bible versions. I'm talking about Bible canons. Because you can have one canon, and you can have like a thousand versions of one canon. In fact, the typical 66-book Bible canon has, has so many versions of it, so many versions, so many translations. So I'm not talking about versions. I'm not talking about translations. I'm talking about canons. There are so many different canons. Now, I know in the Western world, most people are only familiar with the Protestant canon, the 66-book Bible. Some people are familiar with the Catholic canon, okay? So... The Catholic, the Catholics have a little bit more. They have they have the Apocrypha in it, but not much more than than the Protestants. But then you have the Orthodox churches. Now the Orthodox churches are not Catholic churches. They're not Roman Catholics. But they there are, let me think now. Ten at least. Ten different Orthodox churches, and each one have a different list of books in their Bible. This is the problem with Bibles. There are so many different Bible canons, and nobody can really look at an, at another church and say, "My Bible canon is the is the only one, and yours is not." My Bible canon is true, and yours is not. Protestants are the worst ones for idolizing their Bible canon. They idolize a Bible canon. To them, it's like the Bible is like God. 
It's like these 66 books, no more, no less. But wait a second. God never said that. God never, ever told any prophet, priest, or king, or apostle, or disciple, doesn't matter. God never told anybody. Here's a list of 66 books. Put these books all together in one book and call it the Holy Bible. It's not what he said. In fact, biblically speaking, in the days of Jesus, the books of the Bible were all kept separately on separate scrolls. We read in Luke chapter 4, uh, when, when Jesus was in the synagogue, it says the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So it wasn't a Bible. There, there were no Bibles in those days. You walk into the synagogue, you'd have, okay, here's the scroll of Isaiah. Oh, there's the scroll of Jeremiah. There's the scroll of Daniel. There's a, there are the Psalms over here. Oh, yeah, and over here we have the Torah. We have the books of Moses over here. Over here we have, you know, I, you know Jeremiah. So, I mean, and, you know, it's actually good that way. Jesus never complained about it. He never said, oh, you guys need to put it all together and make a holy Bible. Never. He had no problem with it. It's actually, it's actually good to have them in separate, to keep each book separately, because it helps you understand each book is different from the other. Oh, that was written by Isaiah at such and such a year in such and such a, a country or a culture. Oh, Daniel, well, he, that in Babylon, he wrote that book in a different year, in a different culture, in a different setting. Oh, yeah, and then we have the books of Moses. Okay, so the books of Moses came through Moses, and wow, did that ever come through power and great glory. No other book ever came with that power in that glory publicly. Those books are kept over there. Um, you know, so that gives you a much better idea of the dynamics of scripture. And that's really the biblical way to do it. Not to put them all together and call it a Holy Bible. I'm not really against, I, I can't say I'm against doing that because I have all the, I, I have many Holy Bibles. I got many Bibles around me, even sitting here. I got many Bibles. So, um, you know, I can't, I, but I'm just saying that the whole idea of Bible canon, like who, who decides what books go in the Bible. Nobody even knew who even thought about putting it all together in the Bible to begin with. You know, the first, the oldest Bible known to man is the, the Codex Sinaiticus. In that Bible, in the New Testament, it has the Shepherd of Hermas. It has the Epistle of Barnabas. It has books that somehow slipped through the fingers of the publishers in later years. Um the, the Ethiopian Orthodox Bible is phenomenal. The Ethiopian Orthodox Bible have, has 81 books, 81 books. You know, compare that to the 66 book Protestant canon, 81 books in the Ethiopian Orthodox Bible. That's phenomenal. They have the book of Enoch in there. To them, the book of Enoch is Holy Scripture. And by the way, like the book of Enoch Early church fathers, Tertullian, Origen, different, different church fathers early, in the early centuries, they, they quoted and referenced and believed that the book of Enoch was Holy Scripture. That's a whole story all by itself. I mean, you got the book of Enoch that, that came, that 
someone might say, why isn't the book of Enoch in the, included in the Bible? Well, that's a different story. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of different theories to it, right? So the theory that really sticks to me more than any other theory is that the book of Enoch was rejected. You see, the Christian church, the early Christian church adopted the, t- the, the Pharisaical Jewish Bible as their so-called Old Testament. So whatever the Pharisees allowed in their Bible, that is what was passed down into the so-called Old Testament. Whatever the Pharisees rejected, that's what was didn't make it. Well, one of the books that was that they rejected was the book of Enoch. Now the story goes, one of the theories, one of the theories is that the Pharisees rejected the book of Enoch because it so clearly portrays Jesus as the Messiah, and they didn't like that. So, nah, get rid of the Book of Enoch. Count, count that out. Too many Christians, too many Christians refer to the Book of Enoch. Too many Christians believe in the Book of Enoch. Too many Christians use the Book of Enoch to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, and we just don't like that. Kind of, now we'll just cut that out of the Bible. And Chris, the Christian church just comes along and go, oh, let's see what Bible you have. Oh, okay, we'll take that and we'll put that in and we'll call it the Old Testament. They they missed the, the book of Enoch. But you see, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, because they are so ancient, they their history, the Ethiopian um the Ethiopians have a rich, rich spiritual history going all the way back to like way back, way, way back, thousands of years. So the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is very, very unique in the sense that they were kind of tucked down in, they were tucked down in Africa there. They weren't so much influenced by the Ethiopian, not the Ethiopian, but the, um, they, they weren't, they were not influenced so much by the European churches. Okay. They kind of kept to their own. They kind of kept things under lock and key down there in Ethiopia. And that's that's how the Book of Enoch was preserved. They've always had the Book of Enoch for thousands of years. They've never lost it. Same with the Book of Jubilees and many other things. Um, so the whole, the whole idea of Bible canon, like what books were included in the Bible, what books were not included in the Bible, it's just, oh, that's a huge, huge topic. That's a huge topic. That's a very, very uh, complicated and long history of how it, different Bibles came about. You know what? I heard, an, according to, um, I heard, according to Dr. Stephen Pigeon, uh, he said that. Um, the reason why they took the Apocrypha out was more or less a social experiment at the time. It was like, let's see if we can, let's see if we can sell as many Bibles without the Apocrypha as with the Apocrypha. So let's just print some without the Apocrypha and see if we'll sell as, we'll sell as many. And they did. And it's like, oh, wow. Then sooner or later, the Protestants come along and go, hey, Oh, by the way, this Bible that's without the Apocrypha, that's the only Bible, no more, no less. It's 66 books, and that's it. Again, if you look at the history of the Bible, I'll just I'll just make it. I'll just let me just say this. You look at the history of the Bible, the 
the further you go back in history, the more and more books were included in the Bible. So it seems like as the years went on, more and more books were cut out of the Bible. It's almost like back in the early centuries, it's almost like the Bible was a block of wood. And and these church leaders or Bible publishers had a knife in their hand and they were just whittling away, carving away at this block of wood, trying to, trying to create the perfect idol. What well, we'll, we'll cut the shepherd of Hermas out. Oh, oh yeah, and we'll cut we'll cut the the Epistle of Barnabas out, you know, because the Shepherd of Hermas and the Epistle of Barnabas was in the Bible way back in the day. That was. We'll cut that out. We'll cut this out. We'll cut the we'll cut the Apocrypha out. We'll cut the Book of Enoch out. We'll cut the Book of the Jubilees out. Oh yeah, we'll cut the Book of Jasher out. We'll cut this out. We'll cut that. And it goes down and down through history until it finally, hmm, sixty six books looks about right. Maybe, perhaps. Hmm. That's really, it's, God is not into Bible canon. Bible canon is not of God. It's of man. Okay. So I think we need to look at the books of the Bible the way Jesus did. Each book separately in the Bible didn't exist. Study each book separately. And, and, and take it for what it is. Accept it for what it is. Believe it for what it says about itself. And I think, wow, we would have so, our understanding and our knowledge of God and of the scriptures will just explode. It would be wonderful. But that's an awesome, it's such a very good question, uh, Bible inspiration. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking that question. Question is, how is Jesus Christ himself going to defeat Satan? Well, I mean, he has. Um, he's light, right? He's light. Light and darkness, there's no contest. It's, it's no contest. You walk into a dark room and you, turn, you flip the, the, the switch, you don't hear a war happening. Oh, the light and the darkness are fighting. Oh, I wonder who's going to win today. I wonder if I'm going to have to sit in this dark room. <laughs> There's no contest, all right? There's no contest. When Jesus walked this earth, when Yeshua walked this earth, the evil spirits cried out at the sight of him. They're like, ah, get away from me. What do we have to, what do we have to, what do you have to do with us? You know, like you're judging us before our time. They were, they were very afraid of Jesus. Jessica says, what you're saying is very helpful. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. I appreciate that. Jessica says, so what Bible would you recommend? I get that question quite often. Uh, very good question. You know, in my personal collection of Bibles, um, I have all kinds of different Bibles. I do read from probably more than more than not. I read from like in the New King James, and, and it's not perfect. 
There is no perfect Bible translation out there. Some prefer the ESV. Some prefer the New American Standard or other different translations, and that's fine. I mean, whatever translation really... I mean, I would not be divided over translations. Um, Whatever translation you like. There are some bad translations out there, like today's, like the TNIV, the today's New International Version, and some other, there's a lot of nonsense translations out there. I would look at like translations from the early to mid 20th century. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of good translations out there, but there's none perfect. Uh, if you really want a Bible that's interesting, a real interesting, I would say Orthodox Study Bible. Orthodox Study Bible is a really interesting one. It has more books in it than than the Catholic Bible has. It has more books in it than than some of the ortho, other Orthodox Bibles have, and it's 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 very interesting. But uh, I wouldn't be limited to that either. So. It's a difficult question to answer because it's like, you know, again, it's like, you know, I feel like a little boy in a candy shop. Like what, what candy is your favorite candy? Well, (laughs) there's there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of good candies out there. So that's the way it is with the Bible translations as well. A lot of good, a lot of good Bibles. It's a good question. So the question is, did you think they may have they may have added or taken away or changed the scripture at all to support any cause? Well, yeah, the, the Protestants did that for sure. For sure, because you know, a lot of the books that they cut out and they cut down to the 66 book Bible, a lot of those books are books that preached against their sola fida. Um, you know, faith alone kind of preachings or doctrine, I should say. Although the book of James is very much against sola fide as well. And many of the, you know, uh, by the way, I, I'm not, you know, I, you're, you're probably not thinking about this, but I am. Um, I know of a person who I is actually a friend of mine from years ago. I went to, um, I think I went and had lunch with him one, one, one day. And he was saying, well, you know, it says in the Bible, the book of revelation, it says in the Bible, don't add to this Bible or take away from it. And I'm like, you, you do, you do understand where it says that in the book of revelation, it says, don't add to this book or take away from this book. You you do understand it's talking about the book of Revelation. It's not talking about the Bible. There was no Bible. In fact, it says that in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter four, you shall not add or take away from this word. And that's why we have people like this. By the way, talking about Bibles, here, here is the Samaritan Bible. Samaritan Bible. The Samaritan, I can't really read this it's backwards over there on TikTok, but you know, we got uh, the Israelite Samaritan version of the Torah. The Samaritan Bible 
only includes the first five books of Moses in there. Nothing more. No, None of the prophets. They didn't believe in any of the prophets. They were like the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in any of the prophets either. Only the books of Moses. One of the reasons being is because, hey, it says in Deuteronomy, don't add or take away. How dare you add to this? This is the Bible. Don't, nothing more, nothing less. Five books. <laughs> that's, that's how they thought, okay? It's, it's just like it's just like Christians today. It's like 66 books. It says in the book of Revelation, don't add or take away. No more, no less. It's like, don't you understand? It's just talking about that book. It's just, when, when John wrote that, he was only talking about his the book of Revelation. That's all he was talking about. <laughs> he wasn't talking about the Holy Bible. He didn't even know it existed back in those days. It didn't exist back in those days. Same with Moses with the book of Deuteronomy. When it says, don't add or take away from this book. Talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Talking about the Torah. right? Not necessarily talking about the Bible. The Bible didn't exist back in those days either. So, yeah. Um, I do think, though, that, you know what? I think that every church, I can't say every church, but, you know, each 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 church denomination that has their own bible canon their own list of books in their in their bible there's a reason why they did that i think they they added or they took away certain books because of you know to support some cause that they to support their doctrine or some other cause there are reasons yeah the bottom line is this the bible itself is not biblical and I know that sounds really crazy. I know that sounds like, you know, I know some people will be upset with me by saying that. But hey, um, it's true. The Bible, in in the sense that what I mean is, I'm not talking about the books of the Bible individually. I believe each book for what it says about itself, I think that everybody should. And that's the way Jesus looked at it, right? That's the way it was looked at in the days of the book of Acts. But there was no Bible. And God never commanded anybody anywhere to say, here are here, you know, here's a list of books. You never read John or Peter or even Paul saying, Oh, an angel appeared to me. And the angel, and the angel of the Lord said, Thus saith the Lord, you are to compose a book and call it the Holy Bible. And these are, you should start at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Josh, and going on and on like that. Um, yeah. So putting it all together, the Bible is a collection of books. The Bible is actually a library. It's like a mini library. And what books were included in that library, in that collection, what books were excluded was just at the discretion of the Bible publishers. And that's all. There, it wasn't a command of God. It wasn't the so-called spirit of God that that commanded someone to put together a Bible or Bible canon. No, uh, it was it was a, it was a doing. Uh, it was the doing of the Bible publishers or the scribes. And so we need to we we, we need to look at these kind of things with an open mind. Of, of course, not with an empty mind, but we should never we should never limit God to only what we know, to 66 books. 
We should never limit God to that. Someone says, Shalom, everyone on TikTok. Shalom. Uh, Jessica says, thank you. You're welcome. Cornfed says, hey, brother. Hey, how's it going? Someone says, Enoch was before Genesis. Well, yeah, Enoch was written before Genesis, yes. Someone says, what do you know about the Talmud and what it says about Jesus and his mother? The Talmud is huge. I have, I, I have to say, I have not read the whole entire Talmud. Um, I am aware of most of the things it says about Jesus. Okay, so let me see what we have here on YouTube. Yahuwah's word is truth on YouTube says, Chris Freenock, you asked me to ask here. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Yahuwah's word is truth asked in the comments on one of my posted videos on YouTube, not in the live, but on, and just in the comments. And I said, please come to a live stream and ask here. So yes, I did ask you to come here and ask that question. Yes, it was me that asked you. Clutch says, good evening. Good evening, Clutch. Good to see you. Hope everything's going well. Again, if there's something you want me to uh, look at specifically, um, you want me to answer a specific question, make sure you put at Christopher on YouTube there. And once again, thank you very much uh, for the sticker there, Yahuwah's Word is Truth. I appreciate it. Psalm 119 verse 142 says, thank you at Yahuwah's word is truth for sending to the ministry of Christopher has money well spent. Thank you very much. Psalm 119. I appreciate it, guys. Will Sr. says, Shalom, everyone. Just getting off work and joining in. Shalom. Welcome, Will. Yeah, the great deception. Uh, good point. Totally agree with you. Ultimately, the, uh, the wealth of the sinner will be given at the resurrection. Yeah. And when everything is said and done, well, it will be. It will be. The wealth of the sinner will be will be in the hands of the righteous for sure after everything is said and done. Not to say that, you know, there are times when, you know, it could happen in the meantime as well, at least to a certain degree. Going Nowhere says, 
you've talked about how God rejected Esau's repentance. Do you think today God still rejects repentance at times? And if so, how do we know if our repentance is rejected? Okay, so no, God did not reject Esau's repentance because Esau could not repent. Esau did not repent. That's that's the problem. Okay, that's the thing. And the word repent, again, in that context means change. He, he could not change the circumstances. What we're talking about, for those of you who wonder what we're talking about here, um, be, let's just go there. Let's just go there. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Let me just show you guys. Hebrews chapter 12. Because this is a very, very important thing for everybody to know and to, and to see here. Uh, Esau. Okay, so this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. It's something that you, if you don't, you know, take note of this one way or another, mental note or other note, take note of this, because this is something y'all need to, to keep in mind. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. It says this that there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, though he sought it with tears. Okay, let me just post that again. I'll post it up on the screen for the, for those of you on YouTube, and I'll read it again. That there be that there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal, for you know that even afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. Now. There's a lot to learn from this. Number one, you can be crying, you can you can be sorry, you can you can have regret, you can have remorse, and still not repent, and not find repentance. It says he he did not find place for repentance. So what does that mean? He did not find place for repentance. Again, repent here doesn't necessarily mean to change your mind like a lot of people think it does. Because obviously, Esau did change his mind here. How do we know? Because he wanted to inherit the blessing after he sold his birthright. His birthright was his ticket to the blessing. But after he sold his birthright, he wanted to inherit the blessing. In other words, he wanted to undo what he did. But he was rejected because he could not undo what he did. That's what that means. When he, he found no place for repentance. It means he couldn't change what was already done. So the word repent doesn't mean change your mind. It means change your circumstances more. That's more like it. Change your circumstances. Though it says, so he he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, he sought for it with tears. So yes, it is possible for God to reject you because you have you because you have not attained repentance, even though you cry, you have, you have tears. This is a grown man crying here, okay? Esau, grown man, cry, grown man crying, literally with tears here, but he didn't repent. 
in the sense that he did not change the circumstances because he could not change the circumstances. So, no, God did not reject Esau's repentance. The truth is, Esau could not repent. He felt sorry. That didn't cut it because he couldn't, he couldn't change what he did. Repentance means change. Going nowhere. Does God ever make mistakes? No. No. No, God does not make mistakes. The Tower Time says, Shalom, brothers and sisters. Bless y'all. Shalom. Bless you. Blessings multiplied back to you, brother. Justin says, some people worship the Bible. And that's, that is the truth. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not saying the Bible... The books of the Bible are, aren't to be, I'm talking to, when I say the Bible, I'm talking about the structure of the Bible the, and the, the, the books that are included, the list of books, the Bible canon. But yeah, too many people worship the Bible. It's like, well, that book's not in the Bible. I'm not going to believe in that. Oh, well, how many things do people believe that's not in the Bible? <laughs> There's a lot of things that people believe that's not in the Bible, even, either, even other books. Justin said, I heard Augustine reject rejected Enoch because he didn't believe angels could sin. Augustine was very, very corrupt in his doctrine. Uh, yeah, he was one of the, he's talking about going upstream, talking about going upstream to where the water's pure, go past Augustine. Okay. That's, what, that's all I got to say about that. Go, pa, go past Saint, so-called Saint Augustine. Okay. Go past that because he's uh Yeah. It's very clear in the scriptures, angels sin. Very, very clear. I don't know how anybody can not believe it. it, it the devil is, an, is a fallen angel. He is an angel that fell. Why? Because he sinned. <laughs> the Tower of Time says, I can get a gold nugget of revelation in the last 10 minutes too. So, <laughs> how many times I get asked this question today? Is this is some okay? So someone asked me again, "What denomination are you?" I I don't believe in denominations. Okay, I'm the same denomination as the twelve disciples. I don't believe in denominations. I, I John chapter seventeen. Okay, Jesus didn't believe in, in denominations either. There's one God, one Father, one Lord, one Word of God, one law, one gospel, one baptism, one faith, one church. I don't believe in denominations. Bible inspiration says, is there two repentance to change what you did and change from your ways? Can you explain more? We can't change 
what we did if we already did it, right? And without repentance, we don't get... Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I understand your question. Very good question. Uh, just to be more clear upon the whole thing about Esau and repentance. Yeah, so I should clarify that. So Esau could not change... I said Esau could not change what he did. And he couldn't change it in the past. It's not just that he couldn't change it in the past. He couldn't change it in the present. He couldn't change it in the future. Because he already sold his birthright. And he couldn't get that back. Um, so, I... I you know, it could be, I hate to go into too much of like a, a, a semantic thing when it comes to repentance. Like to me, if you repent, let's say for example, let's just say for example, someone who smokes, okay? If you repent, then you stop smoking, right? So you you change in the sense that I used to smoke, but now I don't. I'm an ex-smoker, so I changed. So I, I repented. And if that's the case, God looks at you. Again, according to Ezekiel chapter 18, according to Deuteronomy chapter 30, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, and many other places, God looks at you as if you've never, ever smoked. He doesn't count any of that against you in the past. Let's, make, let's be a little bit more extreme. Let's just, say, let's just say someone is a kleptomaniac, and they just they, they couldn't stop stealing, okay? But somehow they, they found repentance. They found repentance in, in that they, they found a way to change. They, they, they're, not, they're not a kleptomaniac anymore. They have no desire to steal anything from anybody anymore. So they have found repentance. And God will look at that and say, I don't see any of your past. I don't see anything you did in your past. I don't see, you know, none of the things... All of the sins, all of the stealing you did in your past is all the thievery and theft is completely wiped away. Esau couldn't do that. He was faced with a situation that he couldn't change. And so, and it wasn't just a very, I mean, it was a very serious thing because the birthright was like everything. Back in those days, and in Esau's, in Esau's case, the birthright was like everything. It's like th that's that was the blessing of God. That was that was the basically the birthright included the Messiah to be uh, the progenitor of the Messiah, to be the ancestor of the Messiah. So when when Esau sold his birthright, it was like the worst thing you could ever do. Worst thing he could ever do because he said no to God, no to God's blessings, no to the spirit of God, no to everything to do with God, no to the Messiah coming from his loins, no to Jesus, no to everything because that's what all of that was encapsulated in the blessing, in the birthright. He just sold all that for a bowl of soup. And so when he wanted it back, sorry, but you can't get it back. 
and that's why he was rejected. And there was, there's no, he found no place for repentance. So he couldn't change that, that situation. So I get, what I'm saying is, you know, f- for the most part, people can change. You can change a lot of things. You can change a lot of things. You can change, you can change your lifestyle. You can change, you can stop sinning. That's really what God is looking for. In Esau's, in Esau's uh, case, in his situation was really an extraordinary case because he had, he had an opportunity. Actually, he had the birthright to begin with, and he just sold it. He had it, but he he hated or he devalued, he degraded God so much and the blessing and the Lord so much that he just wanted a bowl of soup instead of that. So it's a very sad situation. That's why he was rejected. So it's not really changing what he did in the past. It's that he did something that could not be changed. Hope that's, I know it's, uh, hope that makes it a little bit clearer. It's like it's like for example. I mean, this is this is a very mild example compared to what Esau did. Let's say somebody takes all of their everything they have and sell it. Let's say you got a person who's rich. They've got a big home. They've got like they they've got lots of riches and wealth, and they and they they blow it all. They blow it all on drugs, okay? They blow it all, and they they end up homeless. There's a lot of things they they probably can't get back. A lot of things they probably got rid of that they sold that they can't get back. And that's kind of like how Esau was. Just that Esau's case was much more serious than even somebody who was who is um, wealthy, because uh, he sold something that was worth more than anything that the world could ever offer, and he just um, dishonored it. So we got new eyes, 144K says perfect idea, which proves a Jesus obeyed the law with Greek lexicon definition. Hallelujah. I believe you're talking about my one of the videos I posted earlier. I think that's what it is. Yeah, the video. Okay, yeah. Thank you very much. Over there on YouTube, 1 John 2.26, uh, were the Pharisees all rabbis or were they Sanhedrin or both? Anytime you see a rendition of them, they are always dressed regally. Yeah. Um, 
No, they weren't all rabbis. Like there were, there were some that were. And the Sanhedrin as well. I, um, now they say that the, the, the high priest was a Sadducee. Um, if that's the case, I'm not sure how the Sanhedrin could be Pharisees. I'm not sure how the Sanhedrin could even be Pharisees. Now, you know, the Pharisees were just like it was a sect of Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees in the Hebrew, the word Pharisees actually is a transliteration of the Hebrew word parashim, which means the separated ones or the holy ones. Um, and so they were just basically like, it's almost like a denomination. Almost like Catholic versus Protestant kind of thing. Pharisees versus Sadducees. So there would be rabbis in there. And perhaps there were some on the in the Sanhedrin. Um, but it was more like a it was more like a sect of Judaism that included a lot of different people from different ranks in society. Justin asked the question, is or are all books of Enoch good? I heard the latter the later ones weren't legit. Pre, you're pretty much right in saying that the later ones, because there's there are three books of Enoch, right? There, there's the book of Enoch, the Ethiopian book of Enoch, the Slavonic book of Enoch, and the Hebrew book of Enoch. I have read all of them. Um the Ethiopian Book of Enoch, the Ethiopic Book of Enoch is the by far the most legit out of all of them. The Slavonic and the Hebrew, I would not. They're interesting reads. Interesting reads. I certainly wouldn't tell any. And I, I certainly wouldn't say don't read them. <laughs> they're, they're interesting reads, um, you know, worth a read. Uh, but... Um, the Ethiopian Book of Enoch is definitely definitely ha has a lot more legitimacy to it than than the other ones do. The early church fathers referred to the Ethiopian Book of Enoch. Jesus himself did. The twelve disciples did, or at least some of them did in their writings and in, in their teachings. Uh, a lot of the uh, well, uh, let me just say this. In the Tanakh, we have reference to some of the things that come from the Ethiopian Book of Enoch. Uh, it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right alongside all the other books of the Bible, right? Right alongside, you know, Isaiah, Gen Jeremiah, Genesis, you know, all the rest of the books of the Bible. We have the Book of Enoch um, kept in the books in the Dead Sea Scrolls as well, the Ethiopian Book of Enoch. So, yeah, it's about right, Justin. Seek truth in Christ uh, says, may you please pray for my family. God knows all things before we ask. My name is Armin. Many blessings. Okay, we'll do that. Let's do that right now. So for those of you on TikTok, we got a prayer. There's um, a person on YouTube who asked for prayer. So we can all just join and pray. 
Okay, let's let's pray. Father, we thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for for your blessings. You are the great and awesome God. As Daniel prayed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant of love with those who love you and and those who follow your commands. Your, Your name is holy. You are so good. You are so awesome. You rule above all. You are ruler of heaven and earth. Father, we ask you that you turn your attention to the family of Armin. Father, we ask you that you would hear their prayers. Hear hear his prayers, Father. Father, have mercy upon his family. Have mercy upon his family. Whatever needs to be done there, Father, do it. If there's anything in their lives, if there's anything that they need to change, if there's anything they need to repent from, Father, show them and have mercy. Do a mighty work for for his family. In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Someone on TikTok Live says, We Orthodox take the Old and New Testament together. We believe the whole Bible. Mark says I could also I I could use a prayer too right now. Also I'm on day 3 of a toothache that won't go away. Whoa, ouch. Make sure you get in there and the the dentist there get an emergency visit. Make sure you get in the, uh get Urgent visit to the dentist, but in the meantime, we certainly will pray. All right, so let's continue to pray, you guys, on TikTok and on other on all the other platforms as well. Those of you who are listening to me, let's pray right now. Father, again, Father, we thank you. We worship you. We adore you. Father, we thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. And Father, we ask you that you would bless Mark. Again, have mercy on him. Have mercy on Mark. And Father, help him ease his toothache. Let that toothache, let let the pain be eased. And Father, help him to get seen by a dentist. As soon as possible. But Father, have mercy, Father, and, and, and let this toothache. Let this toothache, Father, be healed in the name of Yeshua. Everyone said, Amen and Amen. Athanatos, at Christopher, do you recommend the Safer Bible or the Sefer Bible? 
I don't. I don't. Uh, there are some good things about it, but there are some not th- not so good things about it. It is um, the good things are about the Sefer Bible. I have a copy of it right. Where is it now? Not too far. Not too far from here. Uh, I'm not sure if it's in this room or not, but. Um, Good things I like about it. Talk about New Testament, Old Testament. The the Sefer Bible or the Sefer Bible does not have Old Testament, New Testament divisions. It's all one. It doesn't have like this. This is the Old Testament section. This is the New Testament section. I like that. Okay. Uh, That's one good thing. Another good thing is the Hebrew names are transliterated uh, better than the um, typical English Bibles. That's a good thing. Another good thing is a lot of books that are not included in other Bibles are included in the Sefer, um, such as the Book of Enoch and the Book of Jubilees, the Book of Jasher, um, and several other different books like that that's not typically found in any other Bible that's included in the Sefer. That's a good thing. The not-so-good things are it is the, the Old Testament part of it, the Tanakh part of it, is just it's more or less an old king james version with the names um changed it's not really a translation it's not a translation it's a changed bible it's not a translation um another thing is too not so good thing about it um the publisher adds things that's not there. Changes names, some names. That's not that's that's not there either. Um, you know, for example, uh, the Book of Jubilees has a section in it that says that the tablets in the the Ark of the Covenant are sapphire stones. That's nowhere to be found. It, to my to my knowledge, there's no manuscript that that has that in. That has been changed and added. It's not a translation. It is a it is it it appears to be a deliberate addition that's not found in any manuscripts. And there's a couple places in there that have that kind of stuff. Has changes that's not in any manuscript in any Bible. So if you're looking for an accurate translation, you're not going to find it in the Sefer. It's not a translation. So that's in in a nutshell. Seek the truth in Christ says, so what if they smoke again? Is that, does that mean they really they really have not repented? No. What I said that I just said, for example, an example of repentance is if if you take someone who is who is a smoker and they stop smoking, they quit smoking. That's repentance. Okay? When you stop. 
feeling sorry or, you know, regretting or feeling remorse or feeling sorry for your sin, that's not repentance. I mean, it's not that it's bad. I'm just saying it's not repentance. So Mark says, thanks, guys. I've been taking antibiotics and ibuprofen for three days. Hopefully, I'll get some sleep later. Yes, hopefully you will. Lord, give you peaceful sleep tonight. Amen. So... All right, guys. Okay, that's it for tonight. What I'm going to do then is tomorrow night I'm going to be I'm going to be back same time same place tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'll pick up where we left off. Actually, we're going to get into something really interesting tomorrow night. That is the book of Deuteronomy, the same book that Jesus used over and over and over again uh, when he was speaking to the devil. You know, he used that as a as the powerful you know spirit sword of the spirit, right? So we're going to get into the book of Deuteronomy tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Looking forward to it. It's one of the most powerful books you can ever, ever read. So yes, we'll do that. Amen. Tomorrow night is Arab Shabbat too. It's the eve of Sabbath. And so we, we usually have a little bit of an extra interesting day or evening. All right, guys, as always, thanks for joining me and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions and your comments. You guys are awesome. Um, this person here on TikTok Live said um, that it says, "Good job on Matthew five seventeen. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you, thank you very much." On YouTube, one John two twenty six says, "Thank you, Christopher. Have a good night. Great night, YouTube brother. Thank you." Mark says, "Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Mark." Good to see you guys. Yes, you guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. I always say that. You guys are world changers. You guys can make a difference. You guys are making a difference. And you guys are are awesome. You guys are awesome. Going Nowhere says, admire your dedication, Christopher. Thank you very much. Again, thank you for your questions and your comments and your fellowship. Thank you guys, all you guys, for your fellowship. If you're on TikTok... I don't always live stream on TikTok, um, but I've been doing more live streaming on YouTube and DLive and I'm even I'm, I'm even on Twitch too, um, Twitter and Facebook and such. YouTube is though one of my m other main platforms. So if anything that I said um, you know is interesting, if you want to you know keep in touch, make sure you get me um, you know go over to YouTube. And make sure you you um, you got me over there. You know, subscribe, and um, I am over there more than I am on TikTok anymore. So you just go over to uh, YouTube and just search for Christopher Enoch. You'll find my channel there, and and you can just subscribe. Okay, I'm on I'm on uh, many different platforms: YouTube, Twitter, uh, D Live and several other different platforms as well. So make sure you don't miss me, okay? All right, guys. Once again, thanks for joining me. You guys are awesome. I'll see you again tomorrow night, as always. 
as always, I'll pray here, but the Tower of Time says, yes, amen, stay blessed, shalom family. You too, brother, stay blessed. As always, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow night.